This episode is supported by Dove. Narrow beauty standards have permeated our feeds, perpetuating beauty ideals that can't be achieved in real life, impacting girls' self-esteem. To help combat this, the Dove Self-Esteem Project is taking action to support the next generation so that they can have a positive experience on social media by providing no-cost resources to parents, mentors, and educators. Dove is tackling the issue of digital distortion with Reverse Selfie, a film rooted in new research on body confidence from the Dove Self-Esteem Project. They're also providing a new confidence kit so that kids and parents can navigate social media with confidence and have a more positive experience online. So head on over to dove.com slash the selfie talk to download the new confidence kit and helpful tips to have the selfie talk today. And Alex. Yeah, Shane. Let's begin this episode. Let's do it. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex, and I'm here with my husband, Shane. The babies are in bed, the cat is in her room, and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour. On this Family Tree podcast, episode 106. And it is a super-sode. It is a super-sode. So our first guest, folks, I got to say... I was really excited. Shane was really excited, but we spoke to Topanga from Boy Meets World. Danielle Fischel joined us. We talk about pregnancy, postpartum, the benefits of therapy, her iconic role, obviously, as Topanga on Boy Meets World, and her new business ventures. I almost fainted during this interview. (laughs) It was so surreal because this is the first woman I ever had a crush on in my life. Well, I guess she was a girl at the time. She was two years older than me. She was 12. I was 10. I was in love with her. I had that despair of, oh, I'm never going to meet her. But I had butterflies when I saw her on the screen. And then just to think that if 10-year-old Shane could know that later on in my life, I'd be having a pretty much an hour-long conversation with her. It was just surreal. Yeah. No, it's so cool. And I'm so glad that we were able to make that happen. Like, I'm still waiting on Outlander Guy, Shane. But, I mean, we got you your TV dream boat. You started liking Outlander Guy when you were, like, 30. Whatever. It's not the same. <laughs> Anyhow, Danielle was incredible. She was so sweet. And we just had the best time with her. Like, we, were, we both came off the interview on such a high. And truly just had the nicest time. Was she creeped out, do you think, when I told her I had a crush on her? Because you made me feel self-conscious afterwards. You said... Oh, we're, we might have to edit that part. And I was like, what? Well, look, I just think of the perspective of women. She probably hears that all the time and is I was probably 10. like tired. I was 10. Well, I know. And Shane, I know you're not a creep, but she not knowing you isn't, you know, privy to what I know about you. I'm not just saying I discovered the show last week and I've been obsessing over it. I was just saying, <laughs> like, this was a big deal no, for I me know, when I was young. I know. No, and I, I think it went over well, Shane. I think you're good. Um, but following up our interview with Danielle, we have Emily O'Brien. Emily is a girl that I knew from childhood. We played basketball together and just like the happiest, sparkiest kid and I, you know, I lost touch with her, didn't really see anything until my parents one day called me and they said, Alex, have you seen the paper? Do you remember Emily O'Brien? And I was like, yeah, like, what's up? I'm thinking maybe she died or something. You know what I mean? Like, that's usually (laughs) like how how your mind goes to death when it's. Well, if somebody's in the paper and with the urgency that my parents were asking me. Oh, I would think it would be a good thing considering she's relatively young. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't like a happy energy. Oh, the tone gave it away. I see. So I checked out the article And Emily had been arrested for essentially, in the simplest, being a drug mule. She had smuggled drugs internationally and was in prison. And it was shocking. But Emily has an incredible story of redemption. And we talk about that on the podcast. She gets into the entire story of how she went from, you know, 
being the kid I knew to getting caught in a situation where she felt she needed to smuggle drugs. The consequences of that, she did end up in prison. What country was she busted in? Um, in Canada. Wh- she which, made it. Where she was made she it. trying to go to? No, she started in St. Lucia and then oh. made it to Canada. And it was only when she was going through customs at Pearson Airport in Toronto. Where'd she hide the stuff? In well, that you gotta listen okay. to the interview. <laughs> yeah, this is <laughs> let let her tell it for you, Shane. It's really yeah. fascinating. Um, so yeah, she talks about her experience in prison, you know, how that changed her when she realized she needed to get a hold on her life again, and the new business venture that she started while in prison that was kind of inspired by everything that happened. And it's an incredible story. You need to hear it. Uh, and you know, Emily just tells it so well. Yeah, you don't hear of too many redemption stories these days either. It be, it's seemingly becoming rarer and rarer. No, so I, I find this very fascinating. But Shane, what else we got here? Cheers, baby. Oh, cheers. Of course. Cheers. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. So tonight we are just doing, you know, keeping it simple. Seed Lip Spice 94, a little splash of tonic. You're getting lazy on me, Alex. Get out of here. We've we've had a long day you of You didn't let cleaning. me finish. What? And I love it. <laughs> <laughs> big day of cleaning okay so <laughs> just to tell everyone how messy our bedroom is mind you we have an excuse we have our child sleeping in there at night yeah. and napping in there in the daytime so there really isn't a good time to go in there yeah. and clean but today we said we're tackling it we are not going up to the cottage to celebrate no. Thanksgiving with your parents, which is hard. You know, it every is hard. every year we've gone up to the cottage with your parents mm-hmm. since we've been together. It's my first Thanksgiving without my family. But it was we have to get things done. We're burnt out a little bit. We're, a lot. St- we're still getting used to this new working life with you going back to work. Mm-hmm. And we've had a couple of weekends in a row where we've been away from the home. So we haven't had time to really get ourselves organized. So we four hours in that room we spent. Freaking four hours. So guys. two hours with both of us working. Then one hour where I came downstairs to watch the kids. Well, you were up there for an hour alone. Then we switched. I went up there for an hour. And then I took a picture at the end of the four hours <laughs> and sent it to you. And the room looks like a bomb exploded after four hours. It still looks like not just as messy because obviously we were working for four hours. But I mean, if this was your first time in our home, you'd go in our bedroom and you'd be like, what the hell's going on? And it would be it would be shocking. And that's after four hours of cleaning. It was so difficult. But Shane, it's like it's the the home stretch. It's all the kids stuff left now. Like we did a ton of kids laundry. So now it's just like strewn all about our room waiting to be folded and put away but that that's kind of the last of it how many more hours do we have to go i'm looking at the photo right now i sent you okay i i think i think one more hour to get everything picked up and two more hours if we want to like go back and like organize our drawers and stuff because guys this is what it's like without organization because there's clothes all over the bed right now still all over almost every square inch of the floor i know i know it's almost unfathomable and i'm thinking like i was against getting a maid before it was almost laughable when someone would suggest getting a maid because in my mind it just means you're incredibly rich and you're just burning money and it's awkward to have someone come in and clean i would think yeah well while, while i'm working and someone's picking up my dirty underwear and <laughs> I, I, I just feel uncomfortable but i think we're past the point where we care 
Yeah. And and when you say maid, it's like not a maid, like not somebody that'd be here every day. But even my dad was kind of suggesting this to us about a month ago. And he said, guys, have somebody come in for an hour, two days a week. So like two hours or whatever, three days a week for three hours and just do the tidy, do the regular tidy stuff, do the laundry, put it away and just help you maintain some semblance of staying on top of things. So like we'd have to do a big house deep clean first and then to help us maintain that, maybe we get somebody over for a few hours in the week to, you know. What's the typical cost for something like this? I have no idea. I know, so like I know they have cleaners go to their house every second Friday, okay? And they do a deep clean of the house. And they, it's two or three women, they spend about three or four hours there three hours there two women so two women three hours and it's like 120 okay for a like deep clean of everything 120 each no 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 120 for the job okay because then they go like they're so efficient they go to like you know four houses in the day do you think that would relieve like a big amount of stress off you yes because i wasn't going to talk about this but you made the announcement you're going to therapy well, yeah, I'm going to an appointment, a therapy appointment on Tuesday. So like by the time folks are able to download this episode, I, I'll be there. It's I'll interesting. I'll be sitting in the virtual appointment. Because when I first met you, we when we were on our dates, I got the impression that you and your family were totally adverse to yes. therapy and anyone to even suggest they were depressed. So I was always, and in the initial phase when I'm still <laughs> pretending I'm a better person than I am, <laughs> I was like, okay, don't mention depression. It right. seems like that would be totally off-putting or almost eye-rolly to you. So for you to be the first one in our relationship to take the plunge into therapy mm-hmm. was quite shocking to me. Yeah. And a bit of a relief, to be honest. No, I'm I'm looking forward to it. So like obviously back it up a little bit here though. I want to know. Yeah. Was I correct in my assessment? Because I've never talked to you about this before. Yeah, no. So correct you're you're correct. Yeah, no is the most Canadian thing ever to say. (laughs) Well, it's a bit of both, okay? So so you are, I guess, kind of correct in that, you know, when I'd hear people who go to therapy who didn't suffer from something that was like diagnosed, like depression or bipolar or whatever. Then I'd be like, ooh, maybe that's kind of a whiny thing. Or I, I'd feel like I may have been superior because I felt uh, well-adjusted. And like I, I would never need somebody to talk through my feelings because like I get it and I can figure out why I feel certain ways. And obviously that was just such a short-sighted way to feel and spoke only to my privileged experience. And things have clearly changed And I do still think that I I know why I feel certain ways. Like I know exactly if I have a hang up with one thing, I know why I feel like that. But I think what I need help with is managing like those, the things that I'm already hung up with, I'm currently getting like really stressed about and ragey about and like so angry about, plus a whole slew of little things that never used to bother me. And I am almost positive, I mean, like 100% positive that it has to deal with, even though I'm a year postpartum, and it's got to deal with postpartum, it has to deal with the fact that Betty's drinking less breast milk, because that impacts your hormones. And I'm having a really hard time managing with that. Like, I'm not getting yelly or anything, but internally... You did punch a stool the other day. I punched a stool. 
But internally, I feel like I'm combusting like 10 times in the day and just I got to like physically shake the anger off myself because I just get so angry at me a lot of the time too inside yeah yeah yeah, inside and uh yeah it's nuts I hate living like that I hate having such a visceral reaction to these little things and these annoyances and it doesn't make sense to me so I want I want somebody to talk through with me I want coping mechanisms and because the reason you beat the hell out of the stool was (laughs) I punched it once well, it's not doing Shane. well. It needs to be reupholstered. It's it's a it's like <laughs> it a cushy not. stool. He's lying. It it has a cut in it. Yeah, not from me, Shane. True. You were box cutting an <laughs> Amazon package on and stabbed it. Let's so fo- sorry, you stabbed the stool before I By ever punched accident, it. And we're talking about you right now. Okay. So <laughs> what the impetus for the punch though was Betty had something in her hair. And she got it on you. No, and that she was had some... bean hands. She had she had, she had bean on her hands. She had refried beans on her hands, and it was all over her hair. And I was trying to wipe her hands, and she grabbed my hair. So, do you think the therapist is going to suggest <laughs> wet naps or? <laughs> 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 what a breakthrough, Alex! No, I'm like obviously this is. Did dumb. you have that written down or? Oh, I knew where the conversation was going. No, um, yeah, this is in jest because obviously I do stand by therapy, although it it hasn't worked for me in the past when I've tried it. But like Danielle Fischel says, Mm -hmm. it was so fortuitous to actually talk to her as you were going through this because she has a degree in, is it? Psychotherapy, I think. Psychotherapy. And she wanted to be a family therapist. Mm -hmm. So she was so encouraging when it came to that part of the conversation. It really made me want to try it because her whole thing was, you know, not one therapist is going to work for you. Sometimes you have to go through a bunch to find your person. It's like courting your future mate. Well, Shane, Jill, uh, Jillian Harris and Justin Pizzuto said the exact same thing yeah. about their relationship therapist. They're like, you know, we met the wrong person. We're like, oh, maybe it's not for us. Tried it again. And then eventually found somebody who's been amazing for their marriage. And I think you know, people just assume, oh, if you go seek out a relationship therapist or just a, a therapist for yourself, it's because you're in like dire straits. And for me, it's I'm not nearly not even close to dire straits, but I don't ever want to get there. And I want to I want to jump on these things and develop coping like strategies before I ever even get an inch closer, you know? Yeah, it's interesting because the whole trope or whatever is that parents don't like therapy, mm-hmm. especially moms. I've always heard that. I see it in movies and <laughs> sitcoms. It is the mom doesn't like when their kid goes to therapy because the idea is that they're going to get blamed for everything. Yeah. And and they I think there's a guilt, right? And they already just feel like, oh, that one thing. And Shane, the things that I stress about and that you stress about as a parent every single day, like, are we disciplining her right? Are we, you know, this early bedtime, is this good or is this going to screw her up forever? And it's like, those things end up no matter what you do your kids gonna have a take on it when they're older and they're gonna want to place their inadequacies somewhere yeah you know what i mean and you sure enough you posted this you didn't tell anybody you just posted the fact that you're going to therapy right your mom read the post and she called you obviously she was just upset that you were in pain but oddly i started feeling the way like a mom would feel in like, oh, is you going to therapy? You're going to be talking about me. <laughs> it's all going to be about me. Uh, and then recently mm-hmm. something happened. I can't say what, but I told you about it. Mm-hmm. 
and you were instantly like, oh, I'm glad you told me. I need to talk to my therapist about this. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. And also I'm worried because I guess I thought we could share this therapist. If it went really well for you, then I could go to her. Yeah. But then if she both knows our stuff, I'll be really embarrassed. No, Shane, know? I actually thought about this because she deals with families. Like that's her job. Mm-hmm. She deals with families. So if she knows both of our stuff, then don't you think that she'd be able to help us better individually and give us better tactics that are like cohesive with each other? And then like without telling you my stuff or telling me your stuff, she could just like lead us in the same direction. Yeah, so she just knows everything. I walk into the room and yeah. you get the first go and then she sees <laughs> me. She's like, here's this piece of shit. No, I think I honestly prefer that. Oh, no, I would too, going first. No, 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 prefer, I, if you ever would, like, if you would ever go to therapy, not that, like, I'm saying go to therapy, but if that was ever something you were going to do, I think I'd prefer us going to the same person rather than two separate people, just because then we both know that we're getting support from a common source, right? And they're supporting us in the same way. And I, I think that'll be good. I just feel like I need a total bro who's going to be on my side with everything, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I saw uh, an advertisement the other, it was like a joke thing, but I think this guy was actually doing it. And it was like, for $250, I'll pretend to be a relation thera- a relationship therapist who blames everything on your partner. Yes, I saw that. <laughs> that, that was, was good. hilarious. Oh, maybe because you reposted it or mm-hmm. something. Okay, so my next topic is, and it's related to therapy making you feel better, because mm-hmm. that's my new mission for you to feel good. Which Thank you. Which I don't, I'm not doing this because I'm scared in therapy. I'm going to like be labeled a bad guy. Because it's not all about me, right? No, like two thirds. Only 90%. But, uh, and you are such, you are such a good guy and you are such a good husband. I appreciate, like you do so much nice stuff for me all the time. And I, like, I, I always appreciate that so much. You know what I mean? Like. I do know what you mean. So Good. let's add this to the list okay? because, and I mentioned this the other day when we were having pillow talk in bed, but life routine, just having a routine mm-hmm. for life. And when people talk about routines, it's usually just the monotonous things in their life to get organized, like work things, having a work day where you just batch everything and there's a day to, right. I don't know, vacuum or whatever. But I mean... I think there's a life routine that needs to be in order in your life for happiness stuff too. And I think that gets neglected often. So simple things like how you do your coffee in the morning, because I know you like it a certain way. We have to make sure that that's prepped every night because a couple days that slipped and a little thing can be really big when you don't have a lot of stuff to look forward to in the day. It actually slipped for four to the five days last work week. Well, yeah, I know, but <laughs> I've acknowledged a couple it. Days. I felt bad, especially it seemed like your mental health was deteriorating. And on the pod before, I was getting such high adulation and how great it made you feel. Because Shane, for those who didn't listen to those episodes, uh, Shane used to, anyway set my coffee situation up for me the night before. Like he'd grind fresh beans, have them ready. He'd have water in the kettle so that I could do a French press in the morning without putting in any effort. And I loved him for it. Yeah. I know you like me grinding my beans. 
<laughs> I'm just trying to be funny here. It's not working. But I noticed even when I did it on Thursday night, you didn't even take the coffee on Friday. Because I forgot. And, and you forgot. But part of the reason, too, is you weren't in the routine of taking mm-hmm. the coffee because I had thrown you out of the routine. So I think coffee in the morning, set your day right. We yeah. also need to get you a bigger thermos so you can yes. have two coffees in the day because at your school, you're not really allowed to leave anymore. Yeah, my break's too short now. And when you're used to two coffees a day, you're getting a headache in the middle of the day, and then it's tampering with your mood. So I think you're not going to quit coffee anyway, so you might as well get that extra oh, coffee. I do not want to quit coffee. Some sort of physical movement. Yes. And this isn't to be ripped or Shamar no, Moore no. or Halle Berry or anything like that. <laughs> she just got abs, eh? Really? For the first time, she was showing them off. She's like, she has been wanting abs her whole life, and now she's finally taking the time to prioritize that. And she's like, I don't know, what is she, like 50? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> These rich people having the time to prioritize abs. I'm like, make sure I brush my teeth twice today. <laughs> I've to done, be rich. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not to be these people and have Mm -hmm. perfect bodies or anything but you are lacking physical movement you're just standing in a classroom you have no time really so we've talked about things like getting a peloton yeah which again this would have been laughable a year ago just because i thought peloton is for the very wealthy well i was just gonna say it's like the halle berry getting abs this is who the peloton's for But when you take away a gym membership, which we both had, and replace it with a Peloton, it's very equitable, if not cheaper. So we're paying what, like ninety to one hundred dollars a month for our gym membership between the two of us. Mine was one twenty-five. Yours was one twenty. What were you getting for one twenty-five? I don't know. It's in Toronto. It was in Toronto. It was more expensive in Toronto than in Hamilton. Oh my gosh! Because we went to the same gym. And I think that was with a. I think that was with a thirty percent discount. Oh my gosh! See, I I was paying like fifty. I think. Okay. 45 maybe might be 45. cheaper in hamilton no that's nuts and it, it is equitable and you know as well as i know how true it is for you that when we are getting physically active regularly we're both way happier yeah exactly and also mm-hmm. things like even reading for me i'm not a great reader i'm, I'm not a voracious reader is that the word voracious, if, I, yeah. if i read more i would actually know how to say that word i know the definition i don't know how to say it But I want to get back into that Mm -hmm. and I want to work that into my life. And even if it's 30 minutes a week, that'll be important and fulfill me and make me feel, I don't know, I'm progressing in some way. Yeah. And of course, all those little work things. Let's figure those out. Those things with your blog that the randomness in which you're posting and putting up reels, like we have to sort all that out and just have times to work with. Exactly, because yeah. it seems like, oh, that's a lot of work or you're giving me more work doing the schedule. Once you get the schedule in play, it's so much less work and life can just be not effortless, but effortless seamless. adjacent. Seamless, seamless. right? Because you know what's coming up. You know what to expect from your day. So, yeah, no, I totally agree. And in addition to the therapy, I think we're going to be on cloud nine. <laughs> Well, look, I mean, Shane, if if there's a Peloton, if there's therapy, if there's somebody coming over, even just for two hours every week or every two weeks to help out with like maybe cleaning, we're going to have to be working our asses off a little bit because all these things do cost money. But I mean, we will be on cloud nine. We're already working our asses off. It doesn't matter. We might as well. Yeah. Use it. Use, put that money back into life. The problem is we don't have time to spend the money that we're working our (laughs) asses off for. 
Uh, also, looking forward to things, scheduling short-term things to look forward to for in the week, like something you can actually reach out and grab within yeah. that week, like a date night, a pizza night on the Friday. I think you have to have that throughout the week 100%. and long-term things to get excited about for the future. So mm -hmm. planning a trip for two or three months away, or if it's not a trip, but like a little getaway, go to your cottage, just... Yeah. If you can give your kids away to your in-laws for a weekend and just stay in your own house yeah. without the kids, whatever you whatever you can do or afford, planning something bigger than normal that you can look forward to in the future, I mm -hmm. think that is important to happiness. 100%. I always like a carrot dangling in the future and one right in front of my face that's a, a few days mm -hmm. away. Oh, yeah, that's perfect. Also... We've noticed Lucy, uh, she has a mood chart at school. Oh, man. And every day she's saying she's angry or scared, it, which it, makes me angry and scared that she's going to get taken away from us. Right. At her, it, it's, oh, this it's is awful. at her daycare, by the way. Her, so they, they, they yeah. talk about feelings every day, right? And Lucy's there for three days in the week. And then she's with her grandmother for two more days. And they talk about feelings and they go around the circle and the kids have a turn to say what they're feeling and then put that sticker on their mood chart. Lucy has been saying, I'm feeling scared almost every darn day. We look terrible. Yes. But, you know, I asked her. Thank I said, goodness I'm not the one who drops her <laughs> off or picks her up. Well, I said, Lucy. Because I already look so weird that. I asked her the other day and I said, Lucy, what, what sticker did you put on your feeling chart? And she said, I said I was scared. And I said, what were you scared of? And she goes, it's because I have a boo-boo. And then she'll point to a mosquito bite and she'll say she's scared of the mosquito bite. But she just likes the attention. She does. I know she does. Lucy also had a thing for, because this is Canadian Thanksgiving. I think mm -hmm. most of our listeners probably Canadian. And uh, they get the kids to say what they're thankful for. So Lucy says, I am thankful for crayons. Like what? And that doesn't make us look good either. No. Most 90% of kids would say, I am thankful for my family. Shane, they sent a note, like they sent like a newsletter home and they said, kids were saying they were thankful for mommies or daddies or pets. And I'm like, she didn't put down mommy or daddy or pet. She put down crayons. I felt so offended when I read that. Guys, we love, we're good to Lucy. Maybe too good. I think we're spoiling her. Like what, what is this thanks we're getting? I had no clue she was obsessed with coloring that much. Or maybe we're just such bad parents that it's better than <laughs> us. I don't know. Well, they did send home that whole booklet of art and they said, Lucy is such an artist. But I think they said that to make us feel better about the uh, crayons thing. Probably. So another thing that I want us to uh, talk about right now is Again, this is in the nature of cheering you up. Things that we're thankful for. Mm, good topic, Shane. So I wrote down us. I like You that. and I. Thankful for you and I. Children. Toe jam and Earl. <laughs> Friday pizza nights. Date nights. Parents and in-laws. Our new yet-to-be-installed fireplace. Yeah. That's coming up. It was hell to actually get. You did all the legwork there, and it's finally going to happen. Uh, Taco Bell. All the people who listen to this <laughs> podcast and follow along on Instagram. All the amazing guests we've gotten to speak to on this yeah, podcast. Yeah, Like, I got to talk to, in this episode, Danielle Fischel. I've gotten to talk to Simon Rex, like Alyssa Milano. So many people growing up and even now that I have looked up to, that I do look up to, all because of this podcast. Um, what else do I got here? Oh, Emma Wiggle. Yeah. Shannon Sossman for agreeing to do the podcast because it did give me a thrill. 
Well, it for, gave you that carrot for a little bit. Yeah, for a month. I was so excited because Shannon Sossman was a person I was in love with her, okay, when I was like <laughs> late in my teens. But then she was unable to do the podcast at the end. So so those are the things I'm thankful for. I'm sure there's a lot more, but what else, what do you got? No, all of those things, I'm going to ditto to every single one there. And in the nature of cheering me up, I want to ask for specifics here. What about us are you thankful for, Shane? Just that somebody agreed to marry me. I'm very... Lots of people could have agreed to marry you, though. You're, you're and I'm a charming, for handsome that. guy. Just to be so charming and handsome, I guess. I'm very <laughs> thankful for that. Uh about us okay just that we have a, a very happy relationship it doesn't feel like one of those relationships that after seven years will be dwindling and again i might have to have a cup to the door when you're talking to a therapist because you may think <laughs> otherwise but for me i think we're doing well in that regard mm-hmm. and we have fun and we're like best friends and i'm still into it in a romantic sense if you know what i mean um, absolutely sexually <laughs> Shame. No, but I, you know, you didn't say all that as romantically as I was hoping, but you are so How do I do it more romantic than that? What do you want? I guess to be staring at me in the eye and saying it in a subtly... That would be so disingenuous. No, I know, I know, I know. I'm just... Come on, let's hear it for me then. Let's hear it all, all sensual. I'm thankful for the fact that... Eye contact, Alex. I'm thankful for the fact that every day, even if it's been a tough night, whatever, we get to wake up in like a very happy house. And it's like there's so much love between you and I. There's so much love between us and the kids. And it's just like such a happy house. And there's so much love, even when things are going nuts. There's so much love. And I am so thankful for how loving you are. You know, you are so there for me all the time and you are so loving and you're you're always willing to kind of just do what I want (laughs) you know what I mean but not it it seems like you're not just doing it and rolling your eyes but you're doing it because there's happiness there and like you like to make me happy and you like to do what I do and we have so much in common like we like to do all the same stuff and that is more than can be said for a lot of couples I think whether it's for the better or for worse I mean we have fun doing all the same stuff and every day is such a fun game in the end like again obviously there are tough times with everything but every day is so fun and so many nights like the majority of the nights in each week I lay there in bed before I go to sleep and I just think about how lucky I am and how amazing everything is and how everything's worked out so well and how we keep you know working to make it good in the kind of every aspect of our life so besides us and me in particular is there anything else left in your life to be thankful for lots this was i'm dittoing your whole list that your list is exactly what my list would be lastly do we think the peloton will work yes i think it's going to be awesome and i think it's going to be so nice to be able to because half my problem is like if you're gone one of us can only be gone at a time to work out and it'd be so nice just like you know while the kids are eating dinner you watch them i get on the peloton done in a half hour 
nothing changes. It's amazing. And it's the perfect time of year. If you live in Canada, yes. October is when it starts getting a little too chilly to go on walks and mm-hmm. runs and things of that nature. So having the Peloton in the house, I think will do wonders for And I us. never want to go back to the gym. Yeah, me either. Okay, do we get to the first interview? Let's get to Danielle Fischel. Okay, but before we get to the wonderful, talented, beautiful Danielle Fischel, let's tell everyone (laughs) who we are supported by. We are supported by Mini Miosh. They're a premium, organic, ethically made, and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. And just the best children's clothing company in the world. They're amazing because they believe in quality over quantity and they make, as Shane said, the best basics for your littles. I'm talking fashionable wardrobe staples that are soft, they're comfy, they're timeless, and they can be passed from child to child regardless of gender. And what I like too is, and I used to say this all the time and I stopped, but I shouldn't because it's so important to me mm-hmm. how easy it is to get the clothes on so and off easy. the kids. And they look great and they're comfortable and all the things you want. But it just has no annoying clasps or things that are you're fiddling with and you don't want to, you know? Absolutely. And their organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally, which is a bonus, using GOTS certified organic cotton and low impact non-toxic dyes. They're on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it. And they believe that every little bit counts. You can find the company online at minimiosh.com or at minimiosh on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use the promo code thisfamilytree15, you're going to get 15% off your entire order. It's available in Canada and the U.S. And again, that is minimiosh.com and thisfamilytree15. And now let's get to our interview with Danielle. Danielle, thank you so much for joining us today. We are so thrilled to be talking to you. I'm so happy to be talking to you. 100%. And I, first off, I got to say congrats on the birth of Keaton. That's only a month. You are like fresh, fresh postpartum. Yes. Fresh, fresh postpartum, fresh, fresh into having two kids, which I asked everybody I knew who had two kids. And maybe it was the way I phrased it because I was doing it in like the way that was making me feel better. I was like, the transition from one to two isn't as shocking as the transition from zero to one, right? And everyone would be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's true. That's true. And then I was like, oh, no, the transition from one to two is just as shocking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I found it harder. Well, you found it harder because you had to be, I'm not going to say more involved, but more involved. You know what I mean? Yes. You need help. And are you guys finding it the same in that regard? Yeah. There are no free hands, period. In this house, there are just no free hands. And I, I feel bad because I have a lot of read but not responded to text messages. I have a lot of read but not responded to emails. I have... Um, done things that are like a friend's birthday order that I'm in the middle of placing. And right before I hit like confirm order, something happens and I go, I'll do that in a second. And then I completely forget about it. Their birthday comes and goes. They never receive anything from me. And I'm like, I wonder why that didn't get sent. And then I remember, ah, something probably interrupted me. So yeah. No, I, I lived like that. I'm still kind of living like that. I mean, it's hard to get out of that phase. And I think that you, me, I needed to set boundaries. So I'm the type of postpartum person and then you just by association where I actually – I don't like people around when I'm postpartum unless it's family and I can put them to work. I don't want people around because I know I'm just going to be a bad friend and I'd like to keep that bad friendness to the texts and the not responding to things. But how is it for you? Do you like people around? you like to be alone No, I like to be alone. I'm like you, but for a different reason. I am not, I am, when I have people over, 
it is impossible for me to not be preoccupied with what they need. Do you need something to drink? Can I get you something to eat? Do you have enough pillows behind your back? Is that, a, is that sun bothering you? Are you hot? Like I, those are the things that I think of when people are here and definitely the postpartum time is not a time to have to be worried about other people. It's really a time to try to be as selfish as you could possibly be. Um, and especially, I think, even more so with your second child, mm -hmm. because I've found that I'm having to work literally twice as hard than I did the first time around because I'm having to manage the feelings of my firstborn and make sure he does not feel like he's been replaced to make sure he doesn't feel like you're, you know, there was a lot of big boy talk in our house before we had the baby. And then we had the baby and I was like, oh yeah, the more I talk about what a big boy you are, the more I realize being a big boy sucks. It sucks. So like, I don't want to tell you you're a big boy because ew, like who wants to be the big boy when look what the baby gets. So I've been like spending any downtime that anytime Keaton is asleep, trying to spend that one-on-one -on -one time mm -hmm. with Adler, trying to make sure Adler knows that his place in our family is always secure. And so, yeah, I think the second time around having people around has been, has been more challenging, but the good news is Adler takes one nice long two hour, sometimes two and a half hour nap in the middle of the afternoon. And so when we've had family over to see Keaton, we've made sure they've arrived while Adler is sleeping so that they get to dote all over the baby without Adler having to witness that. And then when Adler wakes up from his nap, I'm like, you have visitors, people are here to see you. And then the attention gets shifted to him. How old is he when he's still taking these naps? Because our three-year-old has said no. He's just, he turned two at the end of June. Okay. Okay. I was yeah. going to be real jealous for a second. And how, no. mu <laughs> how much of a maternity leave do you take? For Alex, she took 12 months off. In Canada, that's quite normal. Uh, in the States, I hear, you know, they hardly get anything, but you're obviously in a creative field, so you would get nothing anyway, I would think. How much time do you give yourself to be off from work? The With my first baby with Adler, I did not give myself enough. And I learned from that mistake. I, I went back to work after nine weeks and I went back to directing. So I was wow. like, you know, on my feet all day on concrete floors and the hours and the, the days were long. But the thing that I looked at, at the time, the way I looked at it is I was kind of new into my directing career mm -hmm. and I was getting opportunities and I felt like I could say no and maybe hope that they book me later, but I really wanted to, I really wanted to just seize those opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I could, luckily the directing that I was doing was for sitcoms. So they were usually only for five days at a time. So I could work for one week and then take several weeks off and then work for one week and take several weeks off. So that was a real blessing, but still nine weeks, I ended up feeling like it was way too soon. This time around, since we're all still mostly working from home anyway, I've been able to like focus on the stuff I can do from home. And I've been doing a lot of that work still currently. And directing wise, I've decided I'm not going back until after the first of the year. So I'm taking about four months off from directing. And I, you know, that was, that was also a hard decision because I got an opportunity to go back again in like this month. And I was like, nope, I'm going to learn my lesson. I'm going to learn my lesson from last time. Last time I was really, I was really spread thin. And then through the holidays too, yes. I felt like I was missing out on my baby's first Christmas and the first Thanksgiving because yeah. I was 
preoccupied with working. And so I'm in a really fortunate position that I'm even able to take any time off from work. And I, I don't, you know, discount that. But yes, I'm taking four months this time. But you. you still are working on things from home, you said? Are you allowed yeah. to say what that is? Or is this shrouded in secrecy? No, I have, you know, I have a hair care company. I have of a hair course. care line called Be Free, Be Free by Daniel Fischel. And so I'm able to do most of that from home because a lot of that is just dealing directly with the lab, coming up with what our next products are going to be, testing them, sending them back, going through the ingredients, kind of, you know, a lot of that stuff. And then my husband and I are executive producing a show that we can't really talk about yet because we're not sure that it's going to make it to air, but we sold the show to a, a network and we're in the process of working on that. And so that's been, you know, getting our first cuts of the episode back, making our notes, sending them back. So I, there's a lot actually that I'm able to do from home. It's mostly just directing that I'm not able to do. Have you always wanted to get involved in the hair business or is it because your hair is such your thing that you were like, I, I have to do this? It's like Shamar Moore getting into the ab business or something. <laughs> I'll be honest, it's neither. I did not ever want to get into the hair business and it's not because I have kind of hair that people know me for. It's truthfully because when I was pregnant with Adler, it was literally the first time I ever thought about the healthiness of the products I was mm -hmm. using. Up until that point, I was like, hey, if it works and I like it, I don't need to know what's in it. Just let's just pretend that there's nothing bad in it. And then I went and I heard the heartbeat for the first time at like, you know, eight weeks or whenever that is that you first hear the heartbeat. And I walked out of the doctor's office like, Everything I eat and drink and put onto my body better be amazing because this baby is, you know, I just, I felt this like enormous pressure and I had just heard about an app that where you can scan the products in your bathroom and it'll tell you how bad they are, how good they are. And so I went home and I scanned what was in my shower for my shampoo and my conditioner. And they were an eight out of 10, which is like <laughs> fiery good, hot though, red right? flames. No, no. Eight oh, out of 10 oh, is bad. bad. Is bad. Oh. They're evil. <laughs> 10 is like, gotcha. 10 is like, I can't believe you're even still alive. Gotcha. And, <laughs> and one is, wow, there's, there's nothing wrong with this product. So mine were eight out of 10. And I, I thought to myself, okay, great. I am going to have friends that are super healthy. They have kids that care about what they put into their body. My best friend's a nutritionist. I'm going to ask her. She's going to have the answer for me. And I asked her and she said, I'll tell you what I'm using, but I hate it. I'm not recommending it. I'll just tell you, this is what I'm using. I just don't like it. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I was like, I've got other friends. I'll ask them. Someone will have the answer for me. And everyone I spoke to had some version of either I'm using something good for me, but I don't like it. It doesn't work. And here's why or I don't feel like it works and here's why, or, uh, you know what? I gave up. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm using my eight out of tens. Yeah. And I thought, okay, there has to be a middle ground. And I Googled like, you know, mostly natural hair care products. I got a bunch of them sent to me. I tried them all. And I just really didn't find anything that I loved. Mm. And then I was like, well, maybe I could make something. And that's how the line got started. That's awesome. That's the, and it is so good to be able to do that from home too and then have an outlet for creativity, for work, through all of that. And I mean, if you're getting samples sent to you and like you have to take a moment out of your day to wash your hair because it's work, that's yeah. pretty good. I'd kill for that kind of work right now. Yes. Well, I'll send you some of the products and then you can give me a review and you can use it as part of your work. So it's work and then right. I need to take... What, 30 minutes? Can we do a 30-minute really good scrub in there? 
I oh, think absolutely. By the way, you're going to have to dry your hair in a towel for a little bit. <laughs> right. No, there's more. Just take the day off. Yeah. yeah no, this is, this is going to be a great shower. Thank you, Danielle, for this excuse. And I, I kind of want to pivot. And, you know, because we, we're going through a hell of a time right now. Everybody is. And like you, I had a baby during the pandemic, like a pandemic baby. It was weird. The experience was different. And I wanted to ask what the experience was like for you because you live in California and I, things are different there than they are in Toronto. But what was that experience? Like, could your husband go with you to the appointments? Did you do it all alone? Uh, we luckily had the had Keaton in this second wave of the pandemic. The first, you know, 2020 version of the pandemic, Mm -hmm. I think everybody was having to do it alone. And I remember hearing about friends and people who were doing that and and laboring with masks on. And uh, I remember thinking, I don't know. I don't know how anybody does that. Thankfully, my husband was able to go to our appointments with us, with me, and he was able to be in the room. But that was where it cut off. Now, in order to do that, he had to show proof of vaccination and they took his temperature and did all that. There were still precautions going on, but no one else was allowed to be there, which for people like you, I don't know how you were with your delivery. If you don't really like people being around postpartum, you probably didn't really want a whole bunch of people in your room either. It was the best excuse. Yes. That's exactly how I felt too, is that I love Obviously, I love my mom. I love my mother-in-law. I love my family. But there is something so private and so exhausting about labor. Uh, And I really wanted to be focused. I'm a very type A control freak person. And so being able to control my environment as much as I can in a labor situation is really was nice for me. So to be honest, it was kind of a perfect excuse to just be alone. Yeah, no, I I felt the exact same way. And I am so not type A. I'm like, whatever the polar opposite of type A is, that's me. So for me, less about control and more about just wanting to sit there for two days in the hospital shirtless and messy and like, you know, with lactating and nobody there to feel feel uncomfortable around <laughs> just, except for Shane. For, for our first uh, child, my uncle rolled in at this weird time and he just wouldn't leave. He sat on the bed. I had to move my feet for him, Danielle. For like, it was like three hours. And we, we just couldn't believe it. And it was so awkward and we didn't know what to say and we didn't want to be rude or hurt his feelings. So yeah. with the pandemic, it was it was much easier not having to worry about some random visitor coming in unannounced. No offense, um, Uncle. We're not calling yes. you a random visitor, just other random exactly. visitors. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah, no, it was it was it was a welcome, a welcome excuse for us. Wow. It was wow. really nice. Yeah. It's funny because I remember feeling this way when I had Adler too. And then I felt this way again when I've had Keaton. My friends have been so wonderful at like knowing exactly the right amount of time to stay when they have come by, knowing exactly what to send, uh, bringing cookies for me, which is, first of all, if you're, if you want to get on my good side, anytime you want to get on my good side, cookies are the way to my heart. And so anytime someone has sent me like a baby gift and then there's like cookies for me, I'm like, yes, that's exactly (laughs) what I need. Yeah, I need cookies. Baby needs sweaters. Great, we're we're good. So I I'm all, I'm just amazed at like what a bad friend I've been to my friends who had babies because I'm like I didn't know how to do any of those things, but all, my friends somehow do. Mm, I didn't I didn't know at all, and I often think about this. Just like when I first got pregnant, 
with our first, I was calling my mom in tears every second day, apologizing for all the shit she had to put up with from the second she got pregnant with me because I didn't realize how hard it was. And then I had the same feelings during pregnancy and postpartum. When I wasn't looking back, I was not there for people that I know that had kids before me. I didn't get it and I didn't get what they needed. And I bought them the dumbest stuff for their showers that you, I know they didn't use now that I've been through it. Absolutely. I, I feel exactly the same way. And the good thing that I did take away after my first pregnancy to my second pregnancy was all of the things, I think the most shocking part of having a child for me, even now that I have a a little over a two-year-old, all the things that come with having a baby, the most, still the most shocking thing is how much you feel like you have just been ran over by a car for weeks. You feel like that you are swollen in places you never knew could be swollen. You are exhausted beyond, beyond anything you could have possibly experienced ever in your life before. And you are truthfully, it feels like you've been in a car accident Mm -hmm. and then you're responsible for this brand new life. You're extremely emotional. You could cry at the drop of a dime. You are probably crying at the drop of a dime regularly. And then it's just like they, you just go out into the world. There you go. Go take care of that baby. Thank you. Good job. 48 hours in the hospital. You're, you're off. At least that's the way it is here. And so I learned all of the things that like helped me take care of myself immediately after mm-hmm. it. And now every friend I know, the minute she gets pregnant, I get those things. I order them online. I get a nice little gift basket and I go, this isn't for the baby. You're going to have enough swaddle blankets to last you a lifetime, but here are the tux medicated uh, hemorrhoid pads. No one's going to tell you that you want. Here's the numbing spray you're going to want. Here are the pads I used. Like, here's the stuff, like, here's the, you know, the heating pad that made my stomach feel better. Like, here are the things Mm -hmm. that you're not going to think of until until you need them. And you're going to have it all sitting right here in this little basket. No, it's huge. And for me too, like I, I felt, especially with my second, more prepared for that period. It still hit me like a ton of bricks, but I did feel more prepared. And what I was especially not prepared for though was now it's been over a year since we had our second. And with her weaning and, you know, some hormones are dropping again, I am turning into a bit of a different person. And this, yeah, and this is something that we've been talking about lately, and I'm having to learn how to kind of see what I need again, like all over again, like from scratch, I feel like I'm freshly postpartum, crying at the drop of a hat, getting like ragey out of nowhere, and I'm a very non-ragey person, and it's weird just how this kind of just came with another, just another hormonal shift. Yeah. And- Again, just figuring out new ways that I can be there for other people when they're experiencing I didn't even know this was a thing. Yeah, because Alex is such a bubbly person all the time. It's kind of her thing. So to have her like this is a little strange right now. I've only heard of it in postpartum depression. I've never heard of it when you're- Year after postpartum? Yeah, year after when you're weaning off breastfeeding. Had you experienced any postpartum anxiety or postpartum depression at all? I haven't yet. I'm, I know that it can happen kind of at any time. And I, I have not. I know that I was really um, at risk for it with our first because our first was born four weeks early and he spent the first three weeks of his life in the NICU. And so we basically lived in the hospital for the first three weeks and everyone was very on top of it. Like, just so you know, there's this is already a stressful time, but then add in the NICU experience and you're at a higher risk for it. But I, I didn't. Uh, and I haven't this time around either. But I will say... 
that I can like the, cause the breastfeeding, I didn't breastfeed my first because he was the, the condition he was born with was chylothorax and breast milk increased that and gave him fluid in his lungs. So I was an exclusive pumper and he wasn't really able to take breast milk until he was six months old. But by that point he was so used to being bottle fed. We just went to breast milk in a bottle at six months and, and whatever. So I didn't have to go through breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. And I, at the time felt like I had been robbed of this experience. Like, I can't believe it. This was something I really wanted to do. And now I don't get to do it. And then with this one, it was like, wow, I'm really going to get that experience I really want. And now I'm breastfeeding. And I'm like, I'm going to be honest. This also sucks. (laughs) Like this also is very, very hard. And I know it's in, again, I, I feel you know, we all, the guilt that we have about Mm -hmm. every experience we have, I feel guilt feeling like it sucks because I know that I'm incredibly lucky that I can breastfeed my baby. I know that there are women who would do anything to be able to feed, to breastfeed their baby and they can't. And so I am not wanting to sound ungrateful, but it is truly exhausting to be someone's only sustaining and to, and to on demand. And sometimes it's 90 minutes and that's 90 minutes from the start of one feed to the, to the start of the next. And yet they feed sometimes for 30 or 45 minutes. So really from the time you're done with one feed, you may have 45 little minutes before they're feeding again. And if you think about the fact that sometimes that's in the middle of the night, and so you're re-swaddling or changing a diaper in the meantime, you're talking 15, 20 minutes of downtime. Like you can pee and get a snack and that's it. Yes. And that's it. And my lips are incredibly chapped. I'm like, I can't drink enough fluids. And so I feel like, although I would not in any way describe what I'm experiencing postpartum depression or even anxiety, there is a lot of, um, maybe I feel a lot of resentment that like all of this gets placed on women. And I feel a lot of resentment that like, oh, the road to becoming a dad is like, here to here, you're a dad. Mm-hmm. That's what now you're a dad. And yet we have to go through all the pregnancy. And then after you have the baby, everything's and now if you're breastfeeding, especially, it's like you're the default. It's always you. And so I feel like kind of angry and resentful about that, which sometimes makes me feel rageful mm-hmm. to use your word. And so I can only imagine that like that you're now that you're weaning and the hormones. Do you have somebody that you're talking to? Are you talking to a therapist? You know to what? I, I asked some girlfriends of mine. I was like, did anybody else experience this? Like, it's really weird for me. And then like out of the group of 10 women, all 10 of them recommended therapists and yeah. three of them recommended the same one. So I called her and I scheduled my first therapy appointment for Tuesday. I've never gone to therapy. And uh, I was actually talking to my cousin about it today. And she's like, therapy's the best. Like, I really look forward to my appointments. So I'm super excited because I am a little resentful, I think, about how easy, like, guys, get five minutes of fun and then baby, right? Like you said, and it is so tough. And I think I'm resentful of the fact that it's taken a year after postpartum and like now I'm feeling like this, like, what the hell? It's not fair. Don't you have a degree in therapy? (laughs) I went to call, I got a, I got my bachelor's degree in psychology and then I was going to get my master's in marriage and family therapy when Girl Meets World came about. And so then I had to choose between my master's program or doing Girl Meets World and and I did Girl Meets World. So that was what I was going to do, but I did not actually get my degree, but I am a big proponent of talk therapy. I really, especially, especially for these kinds Mm. of, you know, motherhood, wifedom, like emotional, a lot of like this stuff is you're going to, I think you're really going to love it. And if you don't, if then maybe this just isn't the therapist for Mm -hmm. you. Don't say that then if you, this isn't the experience that you want, then just find a different therapist. Cause you know, it's like, 
it's like anything else. The first person you meet is not the person you end up marrying. Usually the first person you meet is not usually your soulmate. This may not be your soulmate therapist. Mm -hmm. You may have to work a little bit to find it, but once you are with the right person, therapy is something that will just, you will feel so much better. You think you're going to feel great after that 30 minute shower of getting to wash your hair. Forget (laughs) it. You're going to, you're really going to feel good after some therapy. I should do it all in the same day and then I'll just be on cloud nine. Exactly. Sometimes therapy makes you very emotional. So maybe you schedule the shower after, then you can cry in the shower. That's perfect. That sounds that sounds ideal. Like a per- and then I'll watch the notebook after in bed and it's just cozy night. Cry day, cry day. Yeah. Do you think therapy is uh, something you do forever for the rest of your life or just when you need it or it, there's an end to it? I think it depends on with anything like a car. Okay. You get a car and maybe you buy a fixer upper and it has to be in the shop a lot right at the beginning because it's a fixer upper. But then over the course of the years, it's not constantly in the shop, but you still have to like do oil changes. So therapy is kind of like the same thing. Sometimes, not sometimes, most of the time that you're being recommended to therapy, it's because you are dealing with an issue. Mm -hmm. And that issue is going to take more work than just like a little tune up would. So you go consecutively once, maybe even sometimes twice a week until you feel like you have a handle on that issue. And then you can taper it back and just go in for tune ups, which is kind of like what my husband and I do. We have a therapist that we absolutely love. We don't have regularly scheduled appointments with her, but when something comes up, we'll say, let's, let's make that appointment because now we have something new we want to tune up on. And so I think it's a wonderful thing to always have in your arsenal to be able to go to. No, that's a good analogy. And Mm -hmm. much like an oil change, I've always avoided it forever and like never really done it. But I feel like I really, especially you breaking that ice, going to a therapist, I feel like it, because I always thought I'd be the first to go. And the fact that you are, I'm like, geez, I really should go. But yeah, no, I'm excited. It's on the list. But it, the place that I'm going to, it's like a family, like they deal in families. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm excited for yeah. that reason because it's something that they're very used to. But yeah, I'm slightly nervous, most excited. But another thing about therapy, do you think it's for everybody? Like, do you think everybody could be helped by a therapist? I think everyone can be helped by therapy as long as you, they are walking into it aware that they're going to have to be brutally honest. If you are the type of person who would, who even wants to keep secrets, maybe even from yourself, mm-hmm. like then therapy is not going to help you because you're, you're only going to, your therapist only knows what you tell them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Your therapist isn't going to walk in with a secret background of your whole life and all of your experiences. They may be able to help you connect dots, but you're the one who has to do the work. If you just walk into the room and you go, well, my therapist didn't fix me. It's because you didn't come to the table saying, okay here's this and here's that. I don't see how these things, I don't, you know, they may ask you questions. You're like, I don't see how that's related. And then maybe they bring something up and you go, Oh, I do see how that's related. But if you're going to either be extremely defensive or you're not going to be super honest and lay all your cards on the table, then therapy is definitely not going to work for you. So it all, you are going to get out of it, what you're willing to put into it. So like, should I just go with like a checklist of all the things that could be things and just lay it on the t- – I'm very open and we have a podcast. What else are we going to do for three hours other than be open? So yeah. like do I just go in with a checklist and say this is this is my stuff? Please make sense of it for me. Three hours. No, like our podcast is three oh. hours. Because you're not type A. I wouldn't make a list. You're not a type A person. I would make I would make a list because that is that just rings true to me because I have lists about everything. If I were you, I would come to the, I would go to that appointment and I would just say, "Okay, 
I have no idea where to begin, but what I'm going to start, I'm going to have to work backwards. What I'm going to start with is what I am feeling right now. And then just tell me, tell her exactly him or her exactly what you just told me about. I am, I don't know who I am anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't know who I am anymore. I, I am feeling all these things that I've never felt before. And po- possibly that's part of the answer is that motherhood leaves us a lot with questioning. Who am I now? Mm-hmm. Who yeah, am I? Am I your mom? Am I your wife? Am I, am I, who, who am I without those titles? I don't ever want to be without those titles. I love those titles. Yeah. I'm happy to be wife and mom, but like, what am I without them? What, what, who is me now? And maybe that's part of it. So mm-hmm. just go to the table with that. And, and, and he or she will work with you about unpacking the stuff. You'll, you're not going to know the answer or have a solution <laughs> in the first appointment, but right. you will walk out of there feeling, hopefully if it's a good session, mm-hmm. you will walk out of there feeling like you're, you've taken the very first step on a path that will make you feel more yourself again. No, oh, that's amazing. That's what I want. Yeah. No, that's what I, that's what I'm hoping for. I'd kill to be a fly on the wall. I'm just so curious <laughs> of what's going on in there. Do you share like when you're coming out? Do you share with your partner about the information you talk? Is that normal to do? Or? You, I, I feel like you know all of my stuff anyway. Oh, okay. So they'll just work it out. And then, yeah, gotcha. I, th- I think mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. Okay. Sometimes <laughs> you can't help but share because sometimes mm-hmm. something will come up that's so interesting that you'll go. Guess what? Guess what she said? She said that the reason that maybe the reason I feel blah 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 is because of this. And that like it's when someone says something that rings true to you, you're like, you can't help but want to share it. So sometimes you'll want to share. Other times you're gonna want to share because it's you're gonna need to ask for help. You're gonna yeah. need to say, like, listen, this is something I talked about in therapy. I really want to work on this. And here's something you do that, that, that triggers feelings in me that I, that I, you know, can't control or like, I have a tendency again, part of my type A personality is that I do have a tendency to, I, when I get angry, I will yell. And my husband cannot deal with yelling. The minute somebody yells, he like completely shuts down. And so he, can't function and can't carry on the conversation anymore. And I physically do not know how to not yell. So my solution to not yelling is I just need to be silent until I get my emotions under control. So we've had like, I'll have to say, listen, I know you want to address this problem right now, but I'm incapable of being the calm person right now. So I'm going to need you to give me, do me a favor, give me 15 minutes to just hit a pillow or do whatever I need to do, get this energy out. And then maybe we can try to have this conversation. And so you're, you're going to need to talk about what you talked about in therapy because you're going to need to support her and you're going to need to help her in certain ways. And so, and other times there'll be things that you'll talk about in therapy that you'll say, I will go to the grave with that. And I'm so happy that she'll never, he or she will never be able to share that I talked about that. And that'll feel good too, to have a totally safe place to say something that's in the recesses of your mind that you can't control that you need to get out and then be like, okay, great. I'm glad I said that. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. Well, speaking of recesses of my mind, <laughs> Boy meets world. (laughs) (laughs) It's smooth. (laughs) But yeah, because I I obviously I have to ask you about it. I mean, I'm a 38 year old man here. And so Boy Meets World came out. uh, I was born in 83. Boy Meets World came out in 93. Yep. So I'm I'm right in that. Your prime age for Boy Meets World. Yeah. That show was so important to me. You were the first crush I've ever had in my life. I know that's weird to say, but it was like, it was intense feelings, you know, the way I felt about Topanga. And that show was important for so many years. It went on for seven years. Was that audition 
important for you? Or were you just like, this is another show? I didn't know it was an important audition. Uh, I knew nothing. I had, I had, I was 12 and I had only started acting at 10. And the only thing I had really done before then were some commercials. And I had done two episodes of Full House. Or at the time, maybe I'd only done one episode of Full House. And my audition was for a different character. I did not audition for Topanga. Well, actually, I take that back. I auditioned for Topanga. I did not get Topanga. I did the audition. I did not even get a callback. I got sent home. And then the next day, I had another audition for the same show, for Boy Meets World, but a different character. And it was a character that had like two lines. And I went in and I did that audition. And then I got that one. I got a callback. And then they booked me for that. So I showed up on the set of Boy Meets World to play let's say Erica. And I had the role of Erica and um, there was another girl there who was playing the role of Topanga. And I watched this whole day as the director worked with her on what they were looking for with Topanga. And it was really my first, I had been done some acting classes, but not really a ton. I consider that first day on the set of Boy Meets World to be like my first real acting class because I realized, this is gonna sound crazy for someone who was already an actress, but I realized for the first time that acting meant I could pretend to be people other than me. That like, I, just because I don't talk a certain way doesn't mean I can't pretend to talk that way. And I saw the director saying to her, you know, she's a flower child. She's a, basically like a child of the sixties and everything to her is peace and love. And she's, you know, she doesn't talk real fast. She's not energetic. She's mellow. And I remember then watching the actress do what the director was saying and being like, Whoa, mind blown, man. <laughs> like, look what, look what she did. And then I had that feeling of like, oh, can I try again? I realized why I didn't get a callback from my Topanga audition because I didn't do any of those things. And for whatever reason, I don't still to this day don't know the answer. They ended up letting her go at the end of the day. They decided she wasn't the right person for the job. And they were in the work week. So like four days from now, they were going to tape and they needed another Topanga. And the casting director said, well, we have these two other girls that were playing these other parts on the show. We could do a whole new casting, but that's going to take time. Or we could start by letting these two girls audition for this character again and seeing if one of them has it. And if one of them doesn't have it, then we can do a new casting. And so this other girl and I went after work uh, and auditioned for Topanga again. And I got to put into practice all that stuff I had seen the director working with her on during the day. I got to put it into practice at my second audition for Topanga. And that time I booked it. Did you ever run into fired Topanga again? I never did. And I, I am not really sure. I've, I've Googled her and I, I do know, I think what she, what I know one of the things she has done since then, I don't think she stayed in acting. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to like call her out or blow her up. So I'm not going to say, but yeah, I've kept, I've like looked into her because I thought about her so many times and I, I would love to know what her, like, I've also wondered, like, does me telling that story hurt her, you know, like, because it's such a different experience, you know, and and I, for so many years, I never thought of the other side of it. I always just thought like, well, this, that was my experience. And that's what happened. And then in my later years, I thought, wow, I, I would love the opportunity to sit and talk with her and say, what was that experience like for you? And what has it been like for you since? All right, Danielle, we're just going to take a quick break to let everyone know who we are supported by. We are supported by Hello Bello. Being a parent's hard, 
like really hard. So when you go to get diapers to prevent the next eventual blowout, finding a diaper that's absorbent and soft without spending a fortune shouldn't be just as tough. Co-founded by Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard, Hello Bello is built on the simple idea that all babies deserve the best, which is why they offer premium baby products at affordable prices. Their diaper bundling service lets you choose from over 20 fun, different rotating designs throughout the year. And each bundle, it's like, it's an amazing subscription service, but each bundle comes with seven packs of diapers, four packs of plant-based wipes, and even one full-size product freebie with your first order. Plus, you get 15% off any add-ons, like the bubble bath, the wipes, the diaper rash cream. They're all amazing. We love it. But wait for it. To get Hello Bello super soft, super absorbent, and super affordable diapers delivered right to your door, go to hellobello.ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree30 for 30% off your diaper bundle order. That's a huge bang for your buck and a lot of potential blowouts saved. That's right. That's hellobello.ca, promo code thisfamilytree30 to start bundling with 30% off your first order. Don't forget, it's hellobello.ca, promo code thisfamilytree30. This promo is applicable to Canadians only. But we are also supported by the Miku Pro Smart Baby Monitor. If you're looking for a good baby monitor to give you a little peace of mind so that maybe you can actually start sleeping when the baby sleeps, good. check out what we would say is the most accurate sleep and breathing monitor it's that we best. have ever seen. And what we love best about the Miku Pro Smart Baby Monitor is that they make no physical contact with your baby. Oh, it's so gross when another baby <laughs> monitor tries touching my child. <laughs> we don't want it. We, whether it's, you know, a clasp around the chest or a sock, Ugh. it's no good. And the Miku Pro, they just use sensor fusion technology, which is military grade technology to monitor your baby's breathing. And it works with your smartphone to alert you of any changes to your baby's vitals or to the nursery conditions. Nothing's better than knowing that my baby monitor cares whether my kid is alive or not. Actually, there is something better, Shane. What's that? There is no hacking this monitor. <laughs> well, it, I think <laughs> being alive is better, but continue. No, this monitor is unhackable. They use crypto no. security. And like a lot of people don't even know that's a problem with some Wi-Fi monitors. I didn't. Yeah. So the Miku Pro Smart Baby Monitor cannot be hacked because of their incredible crypto security system. Plus, I mean, then you have the, the things that you expect, the things that you want out of a good premium baby monitor, like really clear HD video and photo and great night vision. Plus, there's also custom dual Ole Wolf speakers and a two-way microphone, which means Miku not only plays original sleep sounds and lullabies, but it allows you to talk to and comfort your baby. So go to MikuCare.com and use the promo code FAMILYTREE10 for 10% off. This is available in the U.S. only. And again, that is MikuCare.com and FAMILYTREE10 because no other monitor is a Miku. And now let's get back to our interview with Danielle. Acting is so... Strange in that sense mm -hmm. where like a story like Eric Stoltz on Back to the Future yeah. shoots half the movie and that's such a big hit. And then he gets fired halfway through and Lisa Kudrow was on Frasier and got fired and then mm -hmm. she ended up being on Friends, which worked out. So it's so interesting, all these little things, how they either work in your favor or against it. And you never really know at the time mm -hmm. if it's for or against you. Do you ever play the game of what if I didn't get Boy Meets World? Where would my life end up? Yeah, I've played that game a million times. And I wonder like how much of, you know, 
like whether or not I would have stuck with acting, if I would have continued trying out for things, if I would have booked something else, would I have decided, you know, school was always really important to me, not the school aspect of it. Let me clarify. (laughs) I didn't care at all about the school aspect, but like the social aspect was really important to me. And so I, on our hiatus weeks from Boy Meets World, I went back to my regular school. I went to all the football games. I went to all my dances. Like I had, you know, a good group of friends all through high school. They're still my same group of friends. I had high school boyfriends. Like I had that full high school experience. And so part of me wonders if I was just popping in and out doing random gigs here and there, if I would have been like, I don't want to do that anymore. I just really want to focus on high school. And would I have been into sports or would I have been a cheerleader? Like all of my girlfriends, I don't know. Like it's, it's almost, it's truly impossible for me to imagine my life without Boy Meets World. People uh, like to ask actors, like if they feel like their childhood was robbed, but it seems like you had such a great time on Boy Meets World. And I guess since the cast was younger people, you were still having a high school-esque experience in a way. But was there any downsides to being Topanga? God, were there any downsides? I mean, I don't think at the time there were really. I, I like at, at the time I remember thinking um, there were funny moments, but even at the time they were funny, they weren't annoying. It was just like, you know, there was the episode where Topanga and Corey had broken up and uh, or Topanga was moving to Pittsburgh And it was the, in between the two, there was a two part episode where then Topanga shows back up in the rain. And so Topanga had just left for Pittsburgh that had aired on TV. So you remember there was no social media at the time. So we would tape an episode and then it wouldn't air for four or six, sometimes months after we had taped it. And so I wouldn't even know what episode had necessarily even aired when somebody else had seen it. But I had a a real life boyfriend at the time. And we were at Universal Studios, like at the, at the city walk. And we were walking through City Walk and he and I were holding hands and there was a kid in front of me and he kept turning around like this. <laughs> and I noticed that he was turning around and then I would turn around to see like, who is he? He's really shooting daggers at somebody. What is going on? And then he just stopped dead in his tracks and he spun around and he said, where's Corey? <laughs> and I was like, oh, Ben? And he was like, no, where's Corey? And I was like, uh... Corey's like, Corey's not real. This like, uh, that's a character. And he was so angry at me. He was like, I just saw it. You just went to Pittsburgh. And he was, he was, he was so in the show Mm -hmm. that he couldn't possibly fathom that I had a life outside of that. And so I remember thinking at the time, like, oh man, this is, this is kind of frustrating that I'm, that someone's feeling like I'm cheating on somebody and I'm just living my life. (laughs) But it was funny. I mean, I think since then, you know, there, there may have been some downsides of getting a little bit typecast. People want you to, you know, play the same role all the time, or they expect you to go in the total opposite extreme. They want you to like, oh, you played a very sweet girl on Boy Meets World. Now let's have you play this character all the way over here. And, but I mean, honestly, I'm so lucky. I don't, I can't really, it's hard. If somebody asked me about downsides, I'm like, it's really hard because I had a really wonderful experience. Yeah. For me, I even find it hard to separate you from Topanga because yeah. it felt so real. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's really mind blowing to me. Shane was be, that kid. Yeah. Well, yeah, it could have been. No, I would have never forgotten that. But do you find that it was hard in your dating life? Because I feel mm-hmm. like every guy I knew, you were their first crush. Yeah. So you might have been on a pedestal where dating must have been weird because everyone had such high expectations of you or something. Maybe maybe after the show ended, while the show was on, it was like, 
we were all the same age. So it wasn't really like, you know, you're thinking of it from the perspective of like, you know, maybe in 2003, starting to date Topanga and you're like, man, the nineties Topanga, I get to date her now. (laughs) And maybe at the time, God, it was such a long time ago. I'm really having a hard time remembering what it was like to date. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't really remember. I do know that I had kind of a rule that if on a first date, somebody said to me, I had the biggest crush on you. You were my first crush. I pretty much in my head had a hard time moving forward with the relationship after that. And like I'm saying, I was like on a first date. If that's something you're sharing with me right on the first date, it makes it a little hard for me to, to know how interested you are in me versus how interested you are in kind of the story of me. And so I, that would make it hard, but I didn't really have to deal with that too often. I think most people were aware that if that was the case, they should keep that to themselves (laughs) at least until a year into the relationship and they were allowed. That's suitable. That's a suitable time. It's like, you know, we, we've spoken to a few people who, who were child actors and everybody has such a wildly different experience. And I like to get their take on well, you know, having kids yourself, if they do, would you let them get into acting? Some of them are just like, no, keeping them far away from that. But because your experience, like if the weirdest thing you can think of is a kid turning around and being like, where's Corey? That's yeah. pretty good. I know. I, I was very lucky that I had a very protected environment. My parents mm-hmm. were both very involved in my life, very involved in my career, very involved in my education. There was no like shenanigans for lack of a better, to really age myself. There were no shenanigans I was getting into. (laughs) And so I was really able to stay on a straight and narrow. With that said, uh, I still would like, there's still, there are a lot of pitfalls and a lot of dangerous aspects to the industry. I know that I, I didn't avoid them because of there's like a simple answer. I know a lot of it was luck and a lot of it was my family, but a lot of it was also luck. My goal, I I believe that children show you and tell you who they are. I will not be able to stop it if Adler or Keaton is destined to or determined to be an actor or a musician. I I won't be able to. And I don't want to. If that's what they want to do, then then I I will support that. My goal and my mission as a mom, though, is to let them know how many options there are out there for them so that hopefully that they, whatever it is that they pick is because it's really what speaks to them. Like I tell the story all the time about my mom, that my mom at 56 years old, 57 years old, decided to become a makeup artist. She has wanted to be a makeup artist since she was a little girl. That's what all she wanted to do. She knew she loved makeup. She got in trouble for playing with makeup, putting it on her dolls. Like she loves makeup, but her parents were immigrants from Malta and they did not believe that a trade was a career. They wanted her to have a career. And so she worked in a bank. And then when she got married, she decided to be a stay-at-home mom, but her whole life, she wanted to be a makeup artist. And it wasn't until she was 56 years old that she said, you know what, I'm finally going to do it for me. I'm going to do this for myself. And that story of like her parents didn't mean to crush her dreams and crush her. They thought they were doing the right thing for her, but she truthfully didn't even know that was like an option for something she could do for her life. And so my goal is just to make sure that my kids know that the opportunities are endless and that they can do anything they want. They can do anything. And then my secret hope is that acting and, or being a musician is like, so the least interesting thing and that they don't want to get into it. (laughs) And that takes so much bravery from your mom, by the way, to be able to decide that and just go for it. That's huge. And, you know, I feel like for you, even making the switch from acting to directing, it's that same kind of bravery to be on that other side of things. And 
what what do you prefer doing? I, I feel like now it might be directing, but if you could choose, is that the case? Yeah, I think what, the thing I love most about directing is that it feels like my way of giving back to my young self because I remember being that 12-year-old girl watching the director work with the actress and seeing what a difference that director made in, in my life, knowing what a difference that director made in my life. And also the experiences I then had over the years of all the different directors I've been able to work with and the lessons they've taught me, being able to now work with 12-year-old kids and getting to give them those same experiences and be a same kind of positive role model. And, and I look at what I do as being like, it's really acting 101 for them. It's the very base. It's their foundation. They're going to go off and have hopefully very long-term careers after this, but this is going to be where they have, will always remember they got their start. And getting to have a hand in that feels like a way of like nurturing and taking care of my young self, but also being able to get performances out of other people is so much more rewarding than, than getting, than doing a good performance myself these Mm -hmm. days. I feel like, you know, every actor spends their entire career hoping to have a character that people will remember them for. And I was lucky enough to get that job with Topanga. And I did that from 93 to 2000. I could spend the rest of my life chasing after it, desperate to do another one, to have people remember me for something else. But like, I'm so proud of the work we did on Boy Meets World. And I'm so proud of Topanga. I'm I'm proud to leave that behind and now just nurture the careers of other people. Yeah. Well, and I heard somewhere that Boy Meets World is actually more popular now in syndication than it was when it's first aired. I don't necessarily know that it is now, but certainly after Boy Meets World ended, the way it did in reruns and the way it did in like DVD sales and all that stuff, it was it's way more successful now than it was when it was on primetime. I remember with Seinfeld and Friends when they're in syndication. It, it just seemed like, oh, these people are going to be billionaires for the rest of their life. And that was the holy grail. For child actors, it's probably not even thought of that, oh, this kid's show is going to go in syndication and be huge and iconic. So do the contracts take into account that after the fact? Are you like, hey, come on, like we didn't know we were going to be like legends for the next 20 years? Yeah, I mean, there's really no way of of knowing that. And I definitely had the short end of the stick on that more so than anyone else, because my character was originally only supposed to be, well, first of all, she wasn't thought of in the original concept of the show. So the way budgets work, here, let's talk budgets. The way budgets (laughs) on on TV shows work is basically they say, okay, for this season of the show, you have X number of dollars to spend. And this is how much of it you're allowed to spend on your cast. And so then that money gets split up among the regular characters. So Bill Daniels, uh, you know, Rusty and Betsy, the mom and dad, and obviously Ryder, Ben and, and Will. And so that money was all dished out. And then they have the much smaller amount of money that goes to guest stars. And so when I started, I was just a guest star. And then I would do another episode. So I just got guest star money. So over that first season where the other characters were making significantly more than me every week, then when season two rolled around and they asked me to be more a more permanent part of it, I still wasn't really a regular. I was doing like 11 out of 21 or 22. And then season three. So all, I was already like three years into it before I started making decent money. And even then, because I came to it late, the decent money I was making was more like the money the rest of the cast was making in the first season, not the third season. So I never really, I, I, Definitely. And I don't know how much of it was also because I was a girl. Like I did eventually get to renegotiate and I, you know, I'm not, I'm certainly not complaining, but I, I did not walk away from Boy Meets World with enough money that like, oh, I never need to work again. Like I, that was not the case for me. 
Mm -hmm. And is there any resentment there ever? Like, you know, because of the disparities between what men make, what women make, and then boys and girls even, right, as being Mm -hmm. kids, is there resentment? Uh, I don't think there's resentment. No, there isn't any resentment, mostly because, first of all, I didn't know it at the time. Second of all, it was out of, it's out of like, it was out of, certainly out of any of the boys' control. They, I don't think any, and nobody even knew. It's also one of those things where it was, it was always taboo to talk about what you were making. So I never really knew. I didn't really know what they were making until like now, where it's all been like a long time. And I'm like, what were you guys making in season four? And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, like, you've got to be kidding me. But no, I, I don't, I don't necessarily, I think if it were happening now, I, it just wouldn't happen now. I would, I would put my foot down and I, it wouldn't happen now. But at the time I really looked at it, you know, I also remember that in the negotiation process, cause my dad's like a really good negotiator. My dad's a, a very successful businessman and did my contract negotiations with my agent. And I remember that the year when my dad said, that's it, you're not going to be underpaid like this anymore. We're putting our foot down. If they're not going to pay you, you're not going to work. And I just remember saying to my dad, do not lose this job for me. Mm-hmm. Don't lose this for me. You couldn't replace the panga though. No. Impossible. <laughs> well, and at the time I didn't feel that way. Cause I, first of all, remember I was the replacement, right? Yeah. right? They, and they did quite a lot of replacing on that show too. They had a precedent for that. They yes. did. They did. We were, they replaced a lot of guest stars and a, a couple of core cast members. And so, you know, everyone who's ever done a negotiation knows that if you're bluffing, you, you're not going to, you're not going to get anything. You, you have to really be able to say that you mean it. Like I'm willing to walk away from this in order to get what I want. And I wasn't willing to do that. And so part of, I may have hindered myself because I was going to the table going, listen, I don't care. You know, when you're 13 and you don't, you don't, I was not thinking about money. I was like, I don't care. I would do this for peanuts. If they just (laughs) promised to feed me lunch during the day, I would still go and do this. So, yeah. Do do you ever look back and, or I, I should say, do you ever put the show on, watch it and find yourself getting teared up at the emotional scenes? Or is that impossible when it's you? I don't know that it's necessarily impossible, but I have not done it. Mostly because I have not watched a show that wasn't Coco Melon in a little <laughs> over two years. Relatable, uh, yes. Yeah. So I haven't watched anything like that, but also I think I, I find it, I don't know, I find it embarrassing to watch myself on TV. So I have not... I have not done it, but I imagine that I probably, I don't remember any of them. It would actually really be fun to watch them because I, I truthfully don't remember most of the episodes. People who watch the show definitely know more about the show than I do. Mm-hmm. They'll come, they come up to me and they'll say like, oh my gosh, remember that episode? And I'm looking at them going, oh, in my head, I'm thinking, please remember the episode. Please remember the episode. Please, this is going to be really embarrassing if you have to say, no, I don't remember that episode. And almost always I go, no, I, I, sorry, I don't remember that episode. What are, what are you talking about? Um, so I should rewatch them. <laughs> and do you think that's something that you'll do with Keaton and Adler once they're a little older? Oh, like, would you be able to sit there with them and watch it? Yes, quite possibly. I think that will be fun. I think it'll be fun when I'm, let's see, if I think that the, the kids should be, you know, let's say they were the same age I was when I started. Let's say I say 12 is the right time. So that's 10 years for Adler. I can't wait to be a 50-year-old Topanga watching Boy Meets World with my 12-year-old son. I'm going to enjoy that. Yeah. And when you moved on to Girl Meets World, was it that same vibe as Boy Meets World was when it first started? No, I mean, it wasn't the same vibe, certainly not for me, because now I was a full grown adult. And so the idea of like going to work didn't I I wasn't saying I would do this for peanuts. 
Yes. I was now looking at it like this is a job. I want to go there. I want to be professional and I want to be able to go home and be normal and have a life outside of this. I was very excited about it, but mostly I was very excited because I truthfully thought that the show should be entirely different from Boy Meets World. I wanted it to have the same coming of age lessons and good morals and values and those kinds of relatable stories but it needed to be modern and it needed to be brand new and it needed to focus on the kids and it needed to focus on specifically girls and what it's like to be a girl in this day and age, as opposed to we saw with Boy Meets World, what it was like to be a boy. Mm-hmm. And I think the difference, cause that show was really, I have mixed feelings about it. I obviously um, I loved it and I enjoyed, I enjoyed the work that we did and I'm proud of certainly many aspects of it, but I feel like the excitement of having the cast of Boy Meets World be able to come back muddied what the show was supposed to be. And if people, in even people involved in the show, if people could look at it as being a brand new show with some familiar faces, it could have really been something great and wonderful. And instead mm. it got muddied up by how many get, how many times can we bring these people back? And the, the older generation was still let down by it because it wasn't the Boy Meets World they knew. But the younger generation was like, who are all these old people they keep bringing back? I don't understand it. So it lived in like an in-between and I, I don't really think it knew what it was. And so in that way, you know, in, there are some disappointments in it. Yeah. I wonder if it was, if it could have gone a few more years, if it could have transitioned out of that mm-hmm. and become something its own. Quite possibly. But on Disney Channel, most of the shows usually only go three or four seasons. And mostly that's because their demographic, the people who are watching Disney Channel are young. And once the kids that are on the show look too old, they need to transition to a new show. Yeah, you'd have to do like a Netflix hop to make it work, right? We would have needed to hop. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But I think, yeah, yeah, that's all the the time we have today. We- I know. I Danielle, it's been such a pleasure. Like truly every aspect of this has been so much fun. And thank you so much for sitting with us and for the tips too, like the therapy thank tips. You. This is practical, good information. Thank you. I'm really, I'm, I'm thinking about you. I'm wishing you the best on Tuesday. <laughs> I, I really, truthfully, I'd love to know how it goes. So pl- I'm, I will send you my email address. I'd love just a quick update. Just tell me, you know what? I'm really happy or I don't know. I have mixed feelings, but I'm going to be thinking about you. So, well, you're so sweet and I, I do appreciate it. And you, so you where can people yeah. purchase your be free, be free hair product? Cause I'm sure everyone wants hair, including myself, yes. like Danielle. And now that yours Fischl. is long too, you can yeah. really get that by. Well, I'm going to send you pandemic. guys some products. All right, well, really? I'm going to tell you yeah, about this send- therapy shower day too. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to send you guys some. You're going to love them. They're great. Um, so our website is BeFreeByDanielFischel.com or BFByDF.com. Very easy. And then we're obviously on Instagram and we're on Twitter at BeFreeByDanielFischel. And uh, yeah, you can buy things through Instagram and our website. And your account, Danielle. I'm at Danielle Fischel. At Danielle yes. Fischel. Amazing. Truly, thank you so, so much. And yeah, can't wait. Can't wait to touch base again. Try Be Free. Thank you, guys. Awesome, Danielle. Enjoy your weekend. Thank you. Bye, Bye. Danielle. Wow, we did it. I did it. (laughs) That was, it was such a great interview. And I appreciated how genuine and how kind and how just candid she was for the entire discussion. She kind of has an Alex vibe in in the way that she seemed perpetually happy at all times yeah and i was a little surprised when she was saying that she had a a shouting thing Mm because i couldn't picture her getting upset either no but you know what i think we'd be friends i think all three of us would be friends oh my god she's like so easy to get along with yes 
No, great interview. And let's look out for the, I want to try that be free stuff. Oh, I cannot wait. I cannot wait. And I cannot wait for this, you know, five hour long shower I'm going to have. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> it keeps getting longer <laughs> and longer. All right. Next up, this is an interview of all the interviews you've mm-hmm. ever had. I'm dying to listen to it. Oh, it's fascinating. It's and fascinating. I wish I could have sat in on it. I know I always say that, but this one I really do. Yeah, no, I wish you were there too. It, it is a really great one, and I hope you all enjoyed as much as I did. But before we get to this interview with Emily O'Brien, let's let everyone know who we are supported by. We are supported by True Earth. If you listen to our podcast, you know that Shane and I are trying to reduce our environmental footprint. But recently we stopped trying and we started actually doing the things we said we're going to do. And one way we're doing this is through eliminating single-use plastics in our household. Because with two kids and, you know, lots of laundry between the four of us, our laundry room has become a bit of a detergent bottle graveyard. Like we hadn't drank a bottle of water in years it was just a given we don't drink bottles of water but then we had all these big plastic jugs in our laundry room that we never even really thought of so we switched to true earth laundry detergent a few months ago and we have so not looked back the detergent comes in pre-measured soluble strips which you like simply rip apart and just stick it in your washer it is so easy with the jugs you were just paying for the water anyway really 100 percent. they're so watered down plastic aside yeah no they're so watered down and you know the best part is the no plastic because the packaging is so compact it actually has drastically changed the tidiness of our laundry room because again not only do we have these cumbersome bottles but did you notice how much spillage we'd have in there Oh my god. Like goodness. blue liquid always on the floor. Yes, it was it was quite <laughs> embarrassing. So again, as a family with kids who have, you know, super sensitive skin, we opt for the baby detergent because it's fragrance free, gentle on everybody's skin, but it's still so tough on dirt. So our clothes come out smelling great and crispy clean. So check out True Earth Detergent at true.earth and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 to get 10% off your order. You will love this product. Take my word for it. Again, that is true.earth and ThisFamilyTree10. And now let's get to our interview with Emily. Emily. I had to kick my dog out of the room. <laughs> we get lots of dogs in, in on these pods since everyone's doing them at home. <laughs> got it. Got it. Yeah. But I'm so happy to finally connect with you because I know you and I used to play basketball together. Yeah. And yeah. I actually ran into uh, Michelle Vesperini, uh, okay. our coach. And she she was like, oh, my God, you know who you should connect with for your podcast? And I was like, you know, she's like, Emily O'Brien. And I'm like, you know what? I don't know why I haven't because then since then and since, you know, the ordeal, which we're going to discuss, like I've seen you around. I was seeing you around that one studio. Oh, Digital Canaries. Yeah, yes. Simon. Yes. Yeah. That so was fun. Were you were you filming like a podcast there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did a whole, they filmed a whole thing for me. That's amazing. Um, to try and like amplify the story and, and everything like that. We brought like my whole family in and it was really, it was really cool. It was like all 4K, like super cool. Oh, that's incredible. But so yeah. Emily, it, it's been a long time coming. I'm so glad that we are able to do this. But I mean, let's get into it. Let's get into it. So, Emily, you have one of the most uh, fascinating stories that I've ever heard. And I got to say, like, I was I was floored when I saw the articles in the paper. And my parents (laughs) were like, Alex, like, you remember Emily? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, read this. And I read this and I was like, hold on. Like, I just you typically think your parents, I guess, typically think like, okay, if I get my kid into sports, it's going to keep them away from the bad stuff off the streets. 
they're going to be more likely to walk the straight and narrow. And that can be said for a lot of people I know that did play sports. I mean, not everybody, but like, you know, you typically don't hear wild stories from people that you know in any regard. And (laughs) so I, it did shock me because I mean, when you and I played too, we were like real young. So I just, in my brain pictured you as like a real young kid and I, it was hard to connect the two, but obviously you had lived a life since then. Uh, so let's just, let's start in it. How did you get involved with somebody who ultimately got you to smuggle drugs internationally, which you got arrested for? How did you meet this person? Honestly, I met them in like a very organic way and it was through work. Like, and he had like a regular business allegedly. I mean, at this point, um, he was really nice to me. He wasn't even a drug user, you know? So it wasn't like I wanted someone to do drugs with. I actually didn't want someone to do, to do drugs with. And that's kind of how we like hit it off. Cause I was going through like a shitty period of my life and what and like alcohol and and even cocaine was like was not that big of a deal to Mm -hmm. a lot of people and to a lot of environments like it's not like it's like oh no you know it's like it's it's maybe that's just me speaking but i've been to like i've been to a lot of different parties and like a lot of different situations and even Mm -hmm. ones where you think everyone there is like you know crystal clear image or what what's that word how do you describe it like they look perfect on on social media and then like behind closed doors it's like they do blow (laughs) it's like okay so clearly not everyone is afraid of this and, mm-hmm. or is it's, it's actually a part, like a part of more people's lives than I thought. And it's, it's also very easy to hide things with substances when you're going through things, because it's just, you just like kind of enable each other. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to tell when someone is medicating, when you're always in a celebrating environment. You know, I, that's a really good point. I actually want to ask about that because so like, I talk a lot in the mom community too. And there's like, you know, it's, there's talk of like, undiagnosed alcoholism and things because just people using alcohol to cope and then because there's so many jokes about it and things like that maybe it masking a problem not for everybody but for some people and then some people Mm -hmm. even like not in this community but I just think of friends that we have that celebrate and drink when they party but then those celebrations are happening a hell of a lot more often than they don't happen Mm -hmm. so would you would you say that you had a problem then or no I mean, now that I look back at it, I definitely was like, I was high functioning. So like I, I justified it through my ability to still execute things on a professional level, but I couldn't execute on a internal level. Right. So like, I was just, I lost a lot of my motivation and, but obviously when you have a business, you still have to get shit done or else you don't have a business anymore and then you don't have income. So, and luckily I've always been high, high energy. Right. And because this was in my like early twenties, when it's kind of all started, I still didn't really get hangovers, you know, <laughs> I still go to 3am and get up at like a and be fine. Those days. So. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so yeah, you met this guy and you connected because he wasn't into that and you were trying to distance yourself from that. Yeah, absolutely. And I trusted him because, you know, he even told me that he went through like a similar thing, like with, with addiction and, and he didn't think that I, needed that. And he also said like, it's not like worth it. Not, I wasn't at a point where it's like, it's not worth it or not. I was just like, I'm just doing it because it makes me feel better. You know, like I, I didn't really have a, a wager, like it's just, or like a scale, like yeah. whether it was worth it or not. Cause I wasn't about to do anything. Like I, I was just coping. Right. So it is passing. So was this guy your boyfriend? 
No, like he was, okay. he was like a good friend and we definitely had like feelings for each other, mm-hmm. but it was never like, it never started out as like some like full-blown physical relationship. Like if anything, it wasn't like that at all. Cause I was like also like kind of bored of like that kind of that type of guy that you'd meet at the bar and go out, you know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so like, it was completely different than that. So that's why also it was, it was different. And I, and I liked it cause I was just tired of like the whole like bar scene, hook up, get pizza, whatever. <laughs> although i'll still take the pizza yeah so how does it go then emily like i'm thinking like so you meet this guy you guys connect over not doing drugs and that's your connection but then how does it progress into like what ultimately happened like when did you start thinking okay maybe this guy isn't telling me the whole truth or maybe there's some you know red flags that I wasn't seeing initially. Yeah. Like I know when, because we did business together, um, he, he was fine with like paying me at first and then slowly like his, like the financial obligations started to be a little more hard for him to fulfill. Right. And then like, I got like a a bounce check one time, but I saw him being like a good sober friend as the payoff for that, as the payoff for just like ignoring that red flag. Right. Like that's a good, per- like that so-called good, good person that wanted me to get on a, a different path. Right. So I was like, would, okay, would like he eventually pay you back. No <laughs> cost. It actually cost me about triple that. <laughs> yeah. So you were like accepting that and the friendship was the payoff because he wasn't paying you at all. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And then I just kind of trusted that he would, you know, mm-hmm. and then he might make like small payments here and there or whatever. And then eventually um, I started to get like kind of pissed off. And then there's another part to the story, which involves a vehicle and he would like buy and sell used cars. And so he said he would split a car with me, like not split a car, but split the cost of a car with me. Yeah. And so I gave him my half and then I never got this car. <laughs> yeah. And it's like when you're 25, 26 and living in Toronto and you spend like 10 grand on a car that you never get, it's like kind of a big deal. That's a, that'd be a huge <laughs> deal now. And I'm 32 and have a home and everything like that's a huge deal, I think unless you're, you know, just pooping out money. Yeah. So I'm not just like going to go away. Like I'm almost forced to trust him that he's going to resolve the situation. Then he comes over to my apartment like a couple of days later. It's like, oh, I've got to ask you something. Like I want to, he doesn't talk about like the car really at all, but he's mm-hmm. like, oh, do you want to like go on a trip? And, you know, I can help you get away from all this stuff that's going on. Cause he would do like nice things. He would actually like help, you know, give me like free repair not free repairs on my car but just like hook me up with like car parts and stuff like that just to instead of going to the dealership just stuff like that and he would sometimes walk my dog and everything so we developed like that kind of trust I guess but then so he came over and he's like oh brought this trip situation and I was at a point where I was like getting kind of pissed because it's like this like I was like I want the car like stop lying to me about it like just (laughs) tell me what's going on yeah and then um he's like but there's just something we have to do when, when we're down there. Um, and he's like, you don't have to, if you don't want to. And I'm like, oh, what are you talking about? And he's like, Oh, I just have to, I'm going to bring some drugs back. Cause I just need some extra dough and you can do it too, whatever. And I was like, okay, absolutely not. And I was so mad. I was like, can you just like get out of my apartment? And he's like, I'm so sorry. I feel like such an idiot. Like, let's just go on this trip. Like I'll put on my credit card. Um, if, if you're okay with that, like I promise nothing sketchy will happen. Um, Cause I was like, my passport is my favorite thing in the world. B I'm not like a gangster. I don't want to be involved in this world. You traveled <laughs> a lot. And just, just for other people, like you did a lot of charitable stuff abroad. Uh, you did a lot of volunteer work abroad and traveling yeah. really meant a lot to you at this point. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. Always. It always did. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I was like, I'm not going to put my anything at risk. And so he's like, okay. Like later that night, he's like, I'm so sorry. Like, we'll just go on the trip. Let's just, let's just forget everything. And then that's when, you know, the, the good person in me is like, okay, like, you know, trusting what you think you can trust and ignoring, you know, the obvious like red flag or whatever. But at the, on the other side of the spectrum, it was like, I did want that escape. Right. Yeah. So I was like, okay. So and I was like, if you promise. Hold on. Like, did, did he deal drugs? No, not like he didn't mention a thing about it until he came over that day. Wow. Cause honestly, I, I wouldn't necessarily think a check bouncing would be like a red flag because the car thing is a different story. That's like, yeah. wild. Cause he's like scamming you there. He's like taking money from you. But the check yeah. thing, if I thought they were going to pay it back, I wouldn't necessarily think anything was wrong. Sometimes checks bounce, right? Sometimes yeah. Yeah. you got to work around something. But yeah. so there was like, he didn't, he, was he involved in the drug trade? I honestly didn't know at that point. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, but it was just a very, that's why I was like really shocked when he came over and said that. What is it that he's like uh, offering you to get away from? Is it like work pressures, like things like that? Uh, just like the family separation and how it was just like hard for me. And I kind of just didn't deal with it in the right way. Well, also because like when you're not up, living with your parents. Yeah. 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 Which is like yeah. happens all the time, but you can still be sad and you can still also know how to handle that sadness. It's very common. So I, I don't feel guilty about how, but about not being able to cope because I didn't know how to. So how, how am I supposed to know how to, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, no, I had a lot of friends like that actually in university who, I mean, I'm sure they would have been diagnosed with alcoholism, but for sure were alcoholics to a degree. Uh, and, you know, it was like, they'd say, oh, well, I just, I like being away because I get to go party. And it was always, again, that celebration. But it's the first time they're living away from home. And the two women that I'm thinking of are super close with their parents, really mm-hmm. good relationships with their parents. And then when they did separate from them to live away in university, they didn't know how to react. They didn't know how mm-hmm. to act. And I think that they sought comfort in partying and in always being out and around people. Mm-hmm. Do you think that was, it was yeah, the same for, for you? Sure. Yeah. Well, and also then being away from them, but then also when they actually physically got separated, right? when the marriage was falling apart and it's so hard when you see people that you love. Yeah. Oh, big time. not, not just not loving each other, but like hurting about that and like knowing that they're causing pain, but like not but, and making that cause more pain. So it was just, yeah. it was really sad for everyone. Mm-hmm. No, for that's sure. really tough. So then, all right. So there's a lot, you know, obviously going on emotionally and then he's like, all right, let's go on a trip. So he takes you to St. Lucia, which yeah. is like dream destination. Well, except I thought I was going to Puerto Rico because that's where he told me we were going the first time. Oh, and then we get to the airport and we're going to St. Lucia. And I didn't even know where that was. I was like, okay. And then that's when his like character started to kind of like change, and he was just <laughs> looking at me like I was the crazy one, like what? I was. Right? What do you mean? Like, so. so he was like gaslighting you? Yeah, yeah, because he booked the tickets, right? So I, I didn't like look at them. I was just like, okay, you know, he booked them through his credit card. I didn't, I didn't get an email confirmation. He just picked me up. Or his friends picked us up in the car and took us to the airport like a couple days later. So why the destination? Sorry if you can hear my kids crying in the background. (laughs) Shane's playing with them. But uh, why the destination switch? Is he hoping you don't tell people where you're actually going? Like what's what's the mindset behind that? Yeah, that was I think that was it because 
he wanted me to feel stupid and thinking I was going somewhere else in, in case I told people that's where I was going. I mean, I'll never know truly why. There's so much that I'll never know, but you got to let that go. But I, I definitely know for sure I wasn't I wasn't mistaken because I could see it on my phone that he said that's where we're going. And But we, I was already at the airport, you know, suitcase in hand. Okay, like, all right, let's go. Let's go explore St. Lucia. So then how, how, in what ways was this character starting to change? Like, obviously that's a huge one. Like I'd be freaked out. I'd be like, wait, like, am I getting murdered or whatever? But then what, are you just assuming, like we said, gaslighting. So like, you're just assuming you got it wrong, whatever. But then yeah, I was just, I put the blame on myself and I was like, okay, yeah, I guess maybe you're right. But even though I knew, I knew like my, in my gut, I knew mm-hmm. I was right. So then that, again, it's that escapism, right? It's yeah. like, I'm already at the airport. I'm not going back to my own Like, let's go. So then was it like full tilt right away with his personality shift or did it happen slowly over that week or whatever that you were there? It happened slowly. Like that was the first thing. And then when, once we got there, like it, everything was fine and fun. So it's like first three days. And then he said, I have to, on the third day, I had to basically get in the car with him. And I didn't like, he's like, I wasn't all fun, fun and games and all. And I was like, okay, I'll go in the car with you. Um, but I didn't think I'd have to do anything, you know? And then, but he, wait, did you know where you were going when you got in the car with him? No, I I'd never been to that country before. I had no clue. Had he? Apparently he had been there before. Yeah. Oh, so this couldn't have been his first rodeo. (laughs) No. Okay. Okay. So then what happens? You get in the car, like what next? Take, take me on this journey. (laughs) So we get in the car and then we go through like, basically like a rural area and we end up at this place it looks like a, a house there's no guns there's no barking rabid dogs like you know it's not like the movies except i guess it kind of is because i'm in the middle of like some international drug smuggling plot but yeah we get to this house and then there's people there there's like a lady there she's like oh thanks for doing this and as if i'd like been excited for it and, and happy to help and then I, I guess i found out later that he had um he was like in debt and so then that day they found out that he was, I, sorry, that day they took like my measurements and both of our measurements. And she made me like a, a spandex short, like a pair of spandex shorts, but we didn't get anything that day. Like we, we just were like fitted that day. And I had to go to the mall with this lady and pick out a dress. And what, she actually picked it out for me. What, what are the dress and the shorts for? Smug, like actually fitting the drugs in there. And then the dress is to like cover it. Cause it was like a long, like moo moo dress. Oh, wow horrible so okay so like is this lady nice like what is what she is just nice even I, i'm just thinking like even having a woman right and the fact that you're a woman having another woman there probably like if this was like some scary guy or just any guy yeah. i'd be way less yeah. comfortable so probably strategic but like mm-hmm. you went shopping with her like what's that like are you guys talking about what's about to happen or she's like you're, she told me like she's gonna pick out two dresses and I'm going to pick out two dresses to make it look normal. And then she's going to actually pick the one that I'm going to be wearing. So it was like a fake shopping trip. And then while the other guys like waited outside the store for us. So was she like, was she nice or was she like all kind of business? She was definitely business. Yeah. For sure. And during this, like, did, I mean, I'm, I'm like a huge scaredy cat. I'm like, like, <laughs> but like, are you feeling scared? Are you too kind of oblivious to be scared? Like, where's your head at? Like I was completely sober. So I wasn't like, it's not like I was like doing this cause I was wasted. Like I was just kind of confused and, but also like in shock. And I was just, I wanted to s- s- talk to him, but I couldn't cause we were all in this group of people. Right. 
And so I was just like really confused. And I thought just like, maybe when we got back to the hotel, I could be like, no, you know? Um, so I was just waiting so we could leave. Yeah. And then, um, that's when, like, as soon as we got back to the hotel, he like, didn't want me on like my computer. And then I started getting really weird messages from his ex-wife, which I thought like they weren't even talking anymore. And she knew that I was there. So all this weird stuff started happening. What was she saying? She was just like, Oh, it's not time to party when you're down there get so-and-so to call me right away. And I was just like really weirded out. What do you mean? Like not time to party. Like she knows what's about to happen. Yeah. It's or something. It was just very cryptic and weird, but I was just really pissed. Cause like somehow she knew that I was there. And also because I thought they weren't even talking anymore, you know? So then I'm thinking like, she's in on it. Yeah. So then the next three, the next three days, that's when he starts trying to convince me like, Oh, you'll be fine. Like I, I've done this before. Like whatever. Um, I got, I got in a really bad business deal a couple of years ago. Like it's really easy. Like you'll never get, you know, I've never been caught blah, blah, blah. And I, I was just, that's when I got like really scared. Cause I didn't think that I could get out of it. And so I just got really, really drunk the next three days and told him, I was like, I'm a terrible liar. I'm not going to want to do this. And he was just so insistent on it. And then finally, like on the third, so it was on Wednesday, Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So on the Thursday night, he told me he's okay. Like on when we, when you get to Pearson, like take the drugs off your, out of these shorts and put them in your backpack and I'll carry them through customs. Like, so I, so I don't physically have to go through customs with drugs on me. And that kind of like calmed me down. Cause I just wanted to go home at this point, you know? And so that's what he su- suggested. And that's what he said he would do. And so I kind of calmed down a little bit. Like I was not like I was screaming and crying. I honestly mm-hmm. just like got so blackout, not blackout drunk, but I just got so drunk that I just didn't feel anything. Yeah. Yeah. And then on the Friday w- when we left, it was like in the morning and it's not like I was drunk and I was trying to be drunk while I did it, but I like, I actually wanted to do it sober. Mm-hmm. So um, we get on the plane and then leaving, leaving St. Lucia is fine. Cause that's what he's told me is all part of it. And like, were you getting checked out by airport security at all in St. Lucia? Barely. No, you just like walk through a metal detector and that's it. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And then when, but once we land in Pearson and you know, the flight is just like so long, but so short. And I just could not wait to get off the plane. Like I could feel these, these things like getting sweat, like sweaty and sticky, from the packaging yeah and wait wait just just to paint a picture because so you've got (laughs) cocaine in your underwear yeah right how much cocaine are we like two kilograms holy shit yeah which actually isn't even that much in the world of drug smuggling like i've learned it's not where they make the big bucks yeah oh wow okay so yeah so you land you land in pearson then what does he stick to his word does he like no no, he like bait and switches me a second time. And he's like, oh, it's actually too late now. And then, so this point I'm so fucking mad. Like I'm livid. Right. So of course my body language is like off the roof. You know, I'm like trying to be quiet, but I'm trying to bite my tongue, but I'm just like staring at it. I'm, I'm not, at this one, I'm like walking behind him. So I'm like, I don't walk beside, I don't even want to walk beside you right now, mm-hmm. you know, cause I couldn't hide it. And, but I was like, I, I just wasn't saying a word at this point. And I wasn't going to like, obviously sabotage the operation because I, I knew they weren't my drugs you know like I, I I didn't know what would happen and I also didn't want to mess with this world so I was just trying to complete this task so I could just go home and like never talk to a man mm-hmm. so but then we get called into secondary and you know after a series of questions they tell me they're going to search me and if I want to admit anything I should do it now and I was like you know what fuck this I'm I'm done protecting this person so I just said yeah 
I had them. I had them on me. So you you admitted it. Yeah. That being, wow. Because that takes. I mean, I, there are two scary options: getting searched and them finding it, or admitting it. They're both terrifying options. How did you weigh that in your head? Like, what what was that thought process like? Because I just felt like he'd screwed me over over and over again, so I didn't want to protect him anymore. Mm-hmm. And I also knew that lying to a federal agent when they I knew they were going to search me was just going to dig my hole deeper. <laughs> so, like, I already knew that we were caught. I've never yeah. been called in a secondary in my life, and I've been like like 15 countries, some of them more than one. So this was not unusual. I mean, this was unusual. Yeah. So what's, what's the admission? Like, like, are you, what's going through your head? Are you scared of the drug, like the gang cartel, whoever is smuggling these drugs and dealing them? Are you scared of what the prison system is going to do? Are you scared of like, are you thinking of your parents? Are you thinking of what at this point? Honestly, I didn't know any of the consequences, but I just knew that, like, like I said, like being obviously sabotaging the operation, getting caught on purpose, but this was like his doing now, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's, it wasn't by my fault at all. So I didn't even know the consequence, like what was going to happen. I thought I could just admit it and be questioned and get them off me and deal with it. Like, yeah. Did you think that if you admitted it, they might let you go? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I did. <laughs> I would probably think that too. So then, so they find the drugs or you tell them and then obviously they apprehend the drugs and then what comes next? And then they say, I'm not going home. I have to go to jail for the weekend because, you know, I've com- committed an indictable offense and I'm being charged with an indictable offense and I can actually leave the jail until my parents bailed me out because it's not like when your friends can just bail you out and whatever it's, I had. I had to live with like my parents because I had to be in a surety because my bail was so high. Was like 50,000. I was going to say, I read that $50,000 bail. So yeah. your parents are split at this time, right? They're separated. Yeah. Yeah. But they came together for me. They were both there, which was like so nice to see, but obviously they, they did it for their kids. And that's like just a sign of unconditional love for, mm-hmm. for I guess still each other in a way and, and their kids. No, absolutely. Well, but to be able to, go through such a hard process with somebody that you're separated from is Mm -hmm. it is a love you know what I mean and how could you not when you have kids that you've created together so Mm -hmm. you go home and when were you sentenced like what what happened with that um so I had to move into my mom's house and my both of my parents were still my surety so I had to be with them like at all times and if I wasn't they had to write me like a handwritten note I had to move out of my condo in Toronto and it wasn't until two and a half years later that I was sentenced, but I knew about a year, about a year after that I was going to go to go to prison. So I had about a year to change my mentality for, so if you couldn't make bail, right, then you would have just stayed that entire two and a half years in prison. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So what do you mean change your mentality? Like about what? Because at first I was so mad and I was like so Mm -hmm. angry. And it, but it wasn't getting me anywhere. It was just causing me to like drink more and be mad and want to get revenge and not take responsibility for, for, you know, I don't want to say my substance use, but for not addressing my substance use. So, and I didn't like, I was too proud at the time to say that it was actually impacting me. But then there's also the other side is that a lot of people tell you that once you're like over 20, you're too old to be sad. So it's like, I think there's also like that ageism factor as to like how 
how old are you when you're too old to be sad about something? Well, and I'm that's, sad uh, every day <laughs> about one thing or another. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then what did you do? So you're still like if you're spending the first year, you know, coping and trying to beat your anger. So like, you know, you described your universe or your days in Toronto when you first moved away from home and you're coping to deal with like sadness and mm-hmm. now you're coping with anger. So how did you get out? Like, did you go to rehab? I found prison with, for prison as my rehab. I, I like started exercising and stuff a lot more, but it wasn't until I got caught like breaking my house arrest conditions. And then I got thrown in jail for another weekend because I just went out and I was like, fuck it, I don't care. And so, so I went out. Did you have an ankle um, bracelet on? No. Oh. <laughs> Everyone thought I did though. Yeah. But but I was very like low risk. Like I wasn't like violent or, you know, I had, I had a lot of good pr- uh, protective factors is what the system calls them. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So then you went to, you went to prison, you ended up where, what prison? Uh, Grand Valley and that's in Kitchener and that's a federal prison. So I pled guilty and to, and took four years, four years. Mm-hmm. And, but you didn't do all that in the prison. Did you? No, but I spent two and a half years of that on house arrest and that didn't even count. So it'll be 2022 when I'm actually done, like in January. So I spent a year in a physical prison, right? That was 2018. And then I spent six months in a halfway house. And then finally I got my full parole, but you're still, you're still in the system, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, and prisons can be, you know, sometimes substance use prisons can be even more of one than an actual prison. Cause I, I saw going to prison as like my way to actually get away from things. And it was like a very, it was like blunt force trauma of getting away from that. Right. It's like, here you go, this is what's happening. Right. So, but I wasn't actually physically ever addicted. I was just using a lot. And I think that's what a lot of people get confused about. It's like, Oh, like we have a withdrawal system. And I was like, no, like I didn't do it every day. Yeah. <laughs> I never stole to get it. It was like I had a, I don't know, more like somehow a, managed to not be. Yeah. Would it have been like more of an emotional um, dependency? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. An environmental one for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I want to think about like the day of your sentencing. Mm-hmm. What is because like I often, you know, if you're I'm watching a court show or like a documentary or something, and I see the people getting sentenced and I was thinking, I'm like, oh, my God, like what's going in? through their head right now. It's like, what were you thinking when you got sentenced? Did you, were you hoping for less, more? So I found out what my sentence was going to be about six months before I actually went in. And that was like my sentencing day. But my lawyer and the prosecutor did something called a joint submission to the judge. And usually the judge will not stray from that. So, I mean, I also pled guilty very, very early in, in the court process. So like I could have got six to eight if I had like pled not guilty and went to trial and then I lose. Right. And that's, mm-hmm. so, so when I was, when I got that, you know, I'd, I had time to research and then that's when I learned about the parole system and yeah, I'd be in there for a year. And I definitely saw part of it as an inconvenience, but I also saw part of it as something that was necessary to heal myself and, and others that had, you know, been forced to be a part of this journey because of, because they were my parents, right? But they still did. Actually, they weren't forced. They they chose to, and I owed it to them to to do something about it. And let's talk about that. So, like, what was it like living with your parents when you are on bail, waiting for sentencing? <laughs> you're you're their little girl, and mm-hmm. you are coming back from Saint Lucia as 
a drug smuggler who is about to mm-hmm. be convicted. Like mm-hmm. that is scary. I can only imagine like I've got two kids right now. They're young. I don't think they're smuggling anything at this point. It's like Lego from daycare. But I can only imagine the shock and the fear. It's like what situations did you get yourself into? Disappointment. like And, and the disappointment in, my, in myself, like what did I do wrong? It's like, mm-hmm. did you have conversations with your parents about, you know, what was going through their heads? Yeah. I think they're also very, they're scared and, and, but they're also happy that I was okay. So it was definitely a very tense two and a half years before I went in, but the day that we went in, I think I'd found peace with it and I knew that I was going to do something good with it. And I decided that before I went in. So that's what caused me to plan and kind of just become well-versed in what was going to happen. And no one can prepare you like a hundred percent, but um, I tried to do like do my, do my best. And so I was like, actually not really scared. Cause I just saw it as, as traveling to another country. And yeah. So I had to like, you know, shut my business down. I planned it that way. And I knew that going in, I was going to fucking dump, dump all the, dump all the binge drinking and binge using and all that stuff. So I knew that it was time to, to make that change for myself and, and for my family and, and for my you know, future career and yeah. future family. Right. So, yeah. and what, what sentence did the guy get? He actually got the same as me, but it wasn't, he didn't do it until he didn't go in until like two and a half years later. Cause he like kept fighting with the courts and everything. So I took responsibility way, way sooner. Cause I just wanted it to be over and done with. And also, you know, let my parents breathe because every day that I was on bail, it was like scary because if I'd, if I screwed up basically one more time, um, the courts could come for that bail money. And like, that was not something they were financially ready to, no. to do. So. Who is like, that's, you know, yeah. that's a lot of money. That's really hard. All right, Emily, we're going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we're supported by. We are supported by Bravado Designs. Bravado Designs makes the best bras that I own, that I wear, that I've ever been really associated with. Shane, I have to say, introduced me to these a few years ago. And, you know, this is not something that I have let go. I've been associated with a lot of bras in my life, (laughs) and this is also my favorite. I got initially introduced to their nursing collection when I was nursing Lucy, and they were amazing. They were practical, easy to use, and so comfy during a time when, you know, even a t-shirt might hurt my raw nipples, (laughs) but... (laughs) It's not funny. Sorry. It just caught me off guard. But now Bravado Designs has an everyday collection. These bras have no clips. They're for everyday wear, and you don't have to be a nursing mother to get the amazing support and comfort that they offer. They have a 4.8 out of 5 on 26,990 reviews on wall.ca. Like, that is amazing for something to hold up to so many tests. So check these out. You can get the nurse nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com or you can head to the Canadian website for access to the everyday collection at ca.bravadodesigns.com. But regardless of which website you go to, use our promo code thisfamilytree20 to get 20% off your order. Again, it's bravadodesigns.com and thisfamilytree20. But we are also supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip spirits solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the month, the night, or forever. For us, it's easy. We record a podcast, we're drinking Seedlip. And look how much fun we're having with a non-alcoholic beverage. Because, you know, as a non-drinker, it never feels good when your only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. But now you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. 
So whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for everyone. It's crafted using a bespoke process, including traditional copper distillation of botanicals. And each of Seedlip's three variants, which are Spice 94, like we had tonight, Garden 108, and Grove 42, are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so good with just like a splash of tonic. Plus, it can be used to make more complex cocktails like the ones that you'll find in the Seedlip cocktail book or on their Instagram account at Seedlip underscore NA. So head on over to SeedlipDrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 for 10% off your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. This is available in Canada and in the U.S. And again, that is SeedlipDrinks.com and ThisFamilyTree10. And now let's get back to our interview with Emily. I know people that have had to drop relatives as a surety because of that. And because it is such a huge commitment. And if I guess the, what, what, what are you called in that situation legally? The offender. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, and if the offender, you know, like it's kind of on them, but then you're the one losing your money. It's tough. Well, this, I guess I was, no, I wasn't even a suspect. I was like an actual, but I was, oh yeah, I was an, I think I was an Are offender. you a convict at that point? No. Cause I wasn't actually convicted. Okay, okay, like okay. if I was on, yeah. Okay. So Emily, prison. Is, and this is such a dumb question. You've probably been asked it 3 million times and you're sick of it. Is it like orange is the new black or is it more like Martha Stewart, what I picture her doing in prison, which is just like very relaxed and what is it? Uh, I mean, prison is prison. And depending on how you see it is also depending on what you have to look forward to on the way out and or, or how you've been helped before you go in. So for some, it's a place where they don't have a way out. Right. Like I was fortunate in the sense that I had my family that was willing to support me on most of the way they weren't willing to support me if I didn't make changes with my mm-hmm. use. Right. And I didn't, yeah. you know, like I had to pull up my socks. Like yeah. it was not like, I did not coast through this in any means. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I moments definitely were like orange is new black. Like, you know, when I, you get chained up and you know, your hands and feet are chained and you're shackled to one another when you move places and you get your visitors get searched by dogs and horrible things like that. Um, the rules are often not communicated and then you end up breaking them. And you don't even know you're breaking them. Um, there's definitely violence. There's definitely drug use. There's definitely a lot of mental illness and suffering in there. And, but in women's federal prison in Canada, that Canada, you also get to cook your own food and, and stuff, um, depending on like your level of risk. Right. So because I was a medium, everyone goes into medium prison until they, can show that they're well, or until like they can, their behavior can be assessed. Right. And then I was quickly assessed like within a couple months as minimum. So I went to minimum security, which is like, there's no perimeter fence, but you're, you're still in prison. You still have to book your phone time and your visitors will get denied for weird reasons. And there's a lot of bullshit that comes along the way, but even if you're trying to do everything right, do you have to cook your own food? Yeah. Oh yeah. man. That see that yeah. that one of one of the only and again this is not the right thing to say but one of the only appealing things about prison is that like what I picture from movies is that you get yeah. fed three meals a day and you get to work out all the time. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, did you like? Do you make friends? I mean, I did because mm-hmm. I make friends with most people. Like, because I don't like p- cause problems. Like, I, like I, I don't talk a lot. I even though I talk a lot now, like I don't. I'm actually pretty shy and like. Um, so I just kind of stayed quiet and I talked to people, but I didn't like, I wasn't outlandishly communicative. Right. So, um, I think just having that ability to listen to others and not try to 
don't know. I didn't have anything to prove to anyone there except for myself. And, you know, from what we do see, and like, I think Orange is the New Black is the only women's prison show I know, but there is another one. Is it Oz? I can't remember. But um, it's the only one I've seen. Oh, Wentworth, maybe? Maybe. I don't know. I, I, I forget what's what, but I've only seen Orange is the New Black. But like, I just think about that. I think about other prison shows, movies. And I think that that might make me... I don't know, perhaps overly worried and have a different idea about what I'm going into. But do you think that, you know, what you have seen in the media, your preconceived notions about prison, do you think that prepared you or made you more ill-prepared for what it actually was like? I think a little bit of both. Like, I think it also creates a lot of fear and a lot of creates people to be scary, scary and, and just, you know, not who they are. It looks at people as the shows only look at at people in prison as people in prison, mm-hmm. right? You don't actually see what their life was like before that mm-hmm. or, you know, all the good things that they did in their life. Like prison shows are specifically to show people that, that highlight the only the bad things that people did. So, but I got to learn a lot more than that. And so I think for me, when I was in there, I was like, that's when I started to really see how misunderstood like society can be because of the way that people are depicted. And also when they don't know the struggles that people went through before. So that's kind of what encouraged me to just move, build something with that. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and come out with something different and come up with a different outlook and and a way that I could like help other people. And did you find people in there, like who you were working on this change of mindset with, or was it all kind of independent, work that you were doing I worked a lot with like a lot of the volunteers actually and I I talked to like a lot of people and they would tell me their stories mm-hmm. because I was like interested and yeah you just kind of learn so much and that's kind of what it what inspired me to to do it because I I would talk to people and then they wouldn't know what they were doing after or they would or they would think that they were just like this horrible person and or you know they think that the, the abuse that was done to them was justified and and everything like that and you know I'm I'm lucky in the sense that I've never injured horrible physical Mm -hmm. violence like some of those women had and um so I couldn't imagine like how different my life would be or if if I had right and Mm -hmm. that's why I I can understand if you know you you have to endure violence sexual violence over and over again which 80% of women in prison have of course they're going to try to cope with some way something right and so 80% of women in prisons have endured sexual violence yeah. Or physical violence or yeah, at some point. And yeah. that's in, in their life prior to going to prison. Like that's not yeah. prison related. Yeah. And are the instances of like in prison violence high in like a medium women's prison in Ca- in Canada, of course, but. I don't think so. I mean, like, not that I saw, I think like, there was like one or two incidents a week, but definitely not every day. Mm-hmm. And so. those Are they just like fights, those kinds of things or. There, there's fights there's also times there where people will run into other people's houses because we actually don't have cells like but like they're called run-ups and they'll be coordinated because there's no cameras in the houses and there's ways that you can kind of just run in and, and do something and, and beat someone up and then leave there's no actual way to prove it and and if someone tells on you then someone then yeah they're gonna get it next so it's like why it's a, why are they beating people up drugs debts girls rumors t- rats yeah. sometimes because of the crime that they did um, yeah oh yeah it really depends on the dynamic as well like because it, in federal prison you get to you get a chance at day parole within one six-year sentence there's always people coming in and out so it's not people that have been living there a long time that are just staying there there's a lot of there's like a it's like a revolving door mm-hmm. a lot of the time 
And considering the people that you were involved with and whose drugs you got caught with, was there ever any concern or is there now for your safety because of how it all played out? Um, no, because I actually talked to my co-accused after and I found out that like the amount that we had was like so little, like, I think he told me he got like beat up or something, but also in the, in the drug world, you, they'll, they will use decoys like on purpose, like someone like me who has no experience to get caught. And so coming after me would just make no sense because they didn't actually lose that much money and it would just create like a media firestorm. And then that would cause more heat right. on them than actually not doing anything about it. So do you think that you were kind of like, you know, if you were a decoy, do you think they saw <laughs> Diversion you as- or whatever they're called. Yeah, yeah. I did a very bad job. So, <laughs> so there was probably a bigger smuggle, I'm guessing then, judging by that. Yeah, probably you- on the same flight. And okay, so another thing that I, I was reading, it was interesting, 5% of the women in prisons are there for smuggling, importing or exporting drugs. And clearly it gets you know, they target women specifically for lots of reasons. You know, you're less likely to look like somebody who's going to get pulled aside. But do you think that you were expendable to the people that gave you guys the drugs and to the guy you were with? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And that's okay. That's Mm -hmm. fine. Because I know I'm not expendable to myself and to to people that actually love me. How do you talk to this guy after? Like, I would... I'd want to kill him. How do you, you know, put those feelings aside and, and have a conversation? Um, well, I didn't really have long conversations with him. Like we weren't even supposed to be talking, but we talked for a bit. Cause I was just so lost. I was like, what the fuck happened? You know? Sorry. If, I don't know if this is, no, you can swear. You can swear. You can swear. Uh, <laughs> um, but then after that, and after I kept realizing how much of my time was spent angry and mad and I wasn't going anywhere, I was like, well, this is not worth it. And I knew that I was so much better than, than, spending my energy on that. And I would just have move forward. Cause that would truly be forgiveness, right? Like it would be like forgiving myself and taking my life back and paying attention to the things that mattered, which is like restoring mm-hmm. belief in myself, restoring my relationships with my family and restoring my life. Yeah. And you so. have obviously been doing that. I mean, you redemption's a huge part of your story. Uh, mm-hmm. not just with like what you physically did, but with what you're doing now with Comeback Snacks. So can you tell us a little bit about Comeback Snacks and what that is? <laughs> yeah, sure. So it was, I've always been entrepreneurial and I knew that I was going to go to prison to do something and something that could help others as well. Because I, even when I was younger, I was always volunteering and I liked learning how to do new things while also helping others. Because I know that when people have helped me, it's helped me. And I've been grateful for it. And, you know, it's not, you don't do it because you owe it to anyone, but you do it because there's like a certain sense of happiness it brings you and and fulfillment that it brings you. And so, because food was something that was common, like a common theme in prison, and it was something that helped connect people and, you know, bring out the human in people instead of just trying to be like a, a hard, a hard ass or something like that. You know what I mean? It's like, it brought people down to the human level. And that's when I knew that I want to create like a snack company, like a popcorn company, because popcorn was one of my favorite foods. And I knew I had a lot of time. I didn't have the internet, but I also, without the internet, I also didn't have a lot of distractions. So it was a time for me to actually, I relearned how to focus on stuff. So you, I didn't know this part. You planned the company from prison. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. We built a business plan and I started connecting with volunteers. Um, I got let out for a day to actually you know, give out postcards and give out little sample bags at like an event in Hamilton. So it was supported by 
the institution. And when, once I moved into the halfway house outside, I didn't go straight into it. Like I worked, worked at the gym and, you know, just built my network, rebuilt my network and eventually went, went into it full time. And I wanted to help employ people that had been convicted and people that had been so misunderstood because of one thing, one thing that they did. No, you said we built it, like uh, we planned it when you were in prison. Who's the we? Like, who did you plan this with? So I actually worked with certain staff members, like just because they wanted to help me. But then I I, I partnered with uh, one of my friends on the outside and he would actually email me in market research. And then we would like design the logo and do like things via snail mail. Yeah. So wait, but how do you how do you get samples ready from in jail? Like you got let out for a day, but where do you make the popcorn? In prison? So... Yeah, well, we had we had pots and pans, right? And then we also had oil and popcorn kernels and spices. So, yeah, but th- that particular day, I was taken from the prison to the halfway house, and I right. got to use their kitchen. Nice, that is so cool. They bought me little bags and stuff, and my mom like printed out these little cards <laughs> and brought them to the halfway house. <laughs> That's amazing. And are you you are employing people who have been convicted right now? Uh, yeah, yeah, but also just anyone that's like struggled with substance abuse, trying to like change the stigma around it. Right. Um, just anyone that has made like a mistake in their life or gone through tremendous adversity and wants a, a place to tell their story and have a platform to tell their story. Cause the more to- stories you tell, it's not just my story that matters. It's, it's everyone's story matters. Right. And if you can create a safe place to do that, like a place where it makes you feel like a human and makes you feel strong again, or at least a little bit more worthy again, because when you, when you do mess up in your life, like you spend a lot of time hating yourself and, and trying to get forgiveness. And sometimes you never get that forgiveness, forgiveness, but yeah, that's kind of what, what we do now. And now we're in like over 300 stores. So that's it's, amazing. Yeah. So it's about that, it's creating that whole platform, right. And, and yeah. through proof, which is great. Yeah. And where are you like, is your popcorn still getting made in the prison or the halfway house? <laughs> no, no, no. We have a manufacturer now. That's amazing. Got a manufacturer for over a year and we're just starting to, we just got a partnership with another one to launch our second line. So that's amazing. Yeah. We're talking like big, big manufacturing plant. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's huge. Emily. That's amazing. Congratulations on that. Cause it's like a huge step. Um, <laughs> Thanks. But you know, like your story obviously is very redemptive. Do you think that everybody has the capacity for redemption? Cause you know, I, th- I see a mix of it in society. People love a redemption story, but then people are so happy to want to put somebody away and not give them a chance at redemption. So like, do you think everybody's capable of it? Of offering redemption or achieving it? Achieving it. I think it depends on what it is Mm -hmm. for sure. I mean, like you don't ever get something that you want it unless you fight really hard for it and you fight against everything. Even with like the cancel culture that you're seeing right now, you know, obviously people are getting destroyed for a lot of things for things that, you know, maybe they, they did, they did mess up. Right. Mm-hmm. And, but I don't think it's worth ruining someone's career over, or like trying to defend them as depending again, depending on the situation. Right. Cause you see such a wide variety, but I think that, yeah, you, you never get redemption unless you work for it yourself and you're, and you're willing to fight for it hard and you have to be feisty and you have to be willing to put people in your place, just like you were put in your place. So, but it makes you, it makes you um, stronger and you're not going to get it from everyone, but you don't need it from everyone. You just need it for yourself and you need a like a people to believe in you. And, but the best way to do that is by humanizing the experience and making it universal. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm like, Oh, don't, don't smuggle drugs internationally. That wouldn't make sense. I wouldn't be that relatable. Right. But if you can talk about it from like a very, like an emotional state and a place we, where we've all been, which is struggling, making mistakes, 
um, through whether, whether it's substance use or in our marriage or in our job, we all like messed up in our lives and it's, we all want forgiveness, right? But we don't necessarily want to give it. So it's like, but in order to get that, um, like our time will come and we will, no one's perfect. And, um, that's what you have to do. You have to, in order to give, to get forgiveness, you have to be able to, to give it too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one last thing I want to ask about your experience is if you hadn't gotten caught, Mm -hmm. how do you think things would have played out? Do you think you would have changed your life uh, as drastically as you have? I think, no, I think I needed something colossal because like I have like a very colossal personality and I also, that's a colossal thing. (laughs) Yeah. I need like, sometimes I do need like a kick in the ass and like, I do need tough love. Like I don't do well with coddling and, and be like waiting for it. You know, sometimes I do need like that hard, that hard, tough thing. And I have to, people have to be abrupt with me and like what, how I hurt them. Like, I can't just be like, Oh no, everything's fine. Cause it wasn't fine. Right. So whether it was that or it was maybe it could have got worse. Like I could have just been looped into this world for until something worse happened. Right. So I'm glad that, that it happened the way that it did. And you know, people, it's like, I, I don't see it. Like some people don't see it as lucky, but I see it as this very, very lucky, but you also have to have like the, the inner strength to keep fighting for it. And just to be like, have that like kind of fuck like screw you attitude yeah. to people that like want to doubt you and people mm-hmm. that don't believe you and people that want to keep you in that box. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And how, how have your relationships now gone? Like, have you been able to like mend the relationships, like with your family, friends that may have, you know, been disappointed or been freaked out? Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mm-hmm. mean, for sure. It's, it's not easy, but like the people that were actually impacted directly was probably my family, right? Like my friends were like, they're, they're still doing the same shit. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, they didn't learn from you. <laughs> I didn't really, well, no one's, I don't think anyone's involved in what, yeah. what happened to me, but yeah. like, I think we all, I still have tons of friends and we like, you know, we drink and whatever. And it doesn't mean that they're bad, you know, it's, and I'm, I'm not going to be, I still want to have like drinks later on, you know? And I, cause I also know that I'm not, I'm not, I was never like an addict. So it's like, I, I'm not going to let that have that power over me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's amazing. Emily, this is, this is wild. I'm so glad I got to ask you questions about it. Cause I've been wanting to in person for ages. Uh, no ever since I saw you at digital canary, I'm like, ah, oh, like I just, I want to pick our brain a little bit, but truly thank you so much for joining us today. And where can listeners go to check you out, check out comeback snacks? Like where can they find everything? Sure. Yeah. Um, basically like on, on social is great. Um, our website is comebacksnacks.com, but I do a lot of really good storytelling and, and showcasing of the journey and other people's journeys on, on social media. So comeback snacks, Instagram, Twitter, and also uh, my personal one, even though Instagram's down today, but like, oh, so really annoying. I know <laughs> <laughs> the book, the Facebook and it's, you know, children are, are all down. So <laughs> <laughs> um, and at ems.obrien and I can send those over, over to you if you, uh, Amazing. If you want. Yeah, 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 absolutely do. But Emily, like, thank you so much. I've had <laughs> such a pleasure talking to you and you too. like, wish you all the best. It sounds like you're killing it. And like, I know you're killing it, but can't wait to tell Vesperini that I finally sat down and chatted and truly Emily, all the best. You too. Thanks so much. I'm going to yeah. tell my, wait, I'm going to take a pic of us. I'm going to show it to my dad. I want to do that too. Say- you send it to Pops O'Brien. <laughs> I'm going to put this you up. You send it when... to Michelle. <laughs> I will. I'm going to put this up okay. for when uh, Instagram's back, too. Okay. Ready? Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
That's the best. But Emily, truly so nice chatting with you and all the best, okay? You you too. See you later. Until season. Okay, <laughs> bye. bye. So good, right? Well, I haven't listened yet, but just the topic, the subject matter, it's amazing. Well, I, I love how many facets of life it covers, like you know, depression, divorce, red flags in relationships, toxic relationships, business, and advocating for yourself. Like so many different things can be packed into this conversation, Emily's story. Uh, and I I love every part of it. And I, I'm so grateful that uh, she sat in with us and talked about it. Me too, but I'm grateful for the mailbag segment. This is where we get questions. Alex is making a face right now like it's either a really good one or not a good no, one. No, no, I was, you know, I was going to whistle and then I decided not to. There we go. Yeah. That was a good one by old <laughs> Shaney boy. But yeah, you're going to answer questions from our listeners. I'm going to kick back and I might chime in if I'm needed. All right. So the first question is so topical considering what we spoke about in the open. Uh, and this is from my mother. Uh-oh. She said... I guess my question is, do a lot of people see a therapist to support their mental wellness and not just when they're feeling emotionally unwell? So I think, and this is from my experience now, speaking to friends about it, and we've spoken to so many guests about therapy. So many of our guests seek therapy frequently. And I think that most people feel that they, you know, maybe I should go to therapy when they are in a state of being emotionally unwell or that's the way you're doing or nearing that yeah. state yeah but then i think once you kind of break the ice and think maybe i can get something out of this then you start to go regardless of how you're feeling whether you are super happy whether you're upset whether you need that conversation or not and then i think that's how you kind of just maintain balance and happiness and it's good to go when you're happy too and, and discuss the positives and the joy and everything in life, because that's just as important as anything negative. What do you think? I don't know what to think. I, I don't know. I haven't tried it. I would assume what you're saying is correct. Mm -hmm. But it's it's something for me. I would always feel, not having done it often, I would always feel like I'm searching for things to say or almost making stuff up mm -hmm. just to make the hour worth it. I'm hoping if I get a therapist, they're extroverted and great with conversation because <laughs> I can end a conversation like that. Well, and maybe that maybe that's why you get the same therapist that I have. And then I can just like give them per permission to talk about certain things and be like, well, Alex said this. And then I'll just give you uh, talking points. Yeah. The whole time is going to be me refuting what you said. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next question. What is your favorite movie and TV show? So I want to put a spin on this question. It's the spooky season, guys. There's only one month in the year where I love watching spooky stuff. And I only want to watch spooky stuff during this month. But let's do favorite spooky shows and favorite spooky movie. Can we stop saying spooky no. just for me? <laughs> Shane, I'll go first with my favorite spooky stuff. And then you can go. So favorite spooky movie, for sure, The Witch. There are a bunch that I mean definitely could take the cake and a lot of them are they're all kind of at the same plateau like top tier plateau but the witch is an incredible movie shane is it who 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 did that movie who directed it same director as the lighthouse jesus another you, good spooky you movie. told me his first name i could tell you his last oh uh, okay wait robert eggers yes i was gonna say edgerton i knew it was like a, a, you know what i mean so 
The Witch is phenomenal. The girl, Anna Taylor-Joy from Queen's Gambit, she stars in it. She's kind of young in it. Fantastic. So creepy, so eerie, and just terrifying because the setting, the performances, it's amazing. Uh, My favorite spooky show, right now we're watching one called Midnight Mass, and it's very cool. Uh, but I'd say The Haunting of Hill House. Well, we're only halfway through Midnight Mass. The Haunting of Hill House, if you want a good like Halloween show to watch, I don't know, it's got like six to nine episodes. And it that one really freaked me out. Better than American Horror Story? I haven't seen any of those. Okay. Yeah, not me either, really. So do we move on to me now? Yeah. Okay. I like Ernest Scared Stupid. <laughs> Just when I was a kid, I loved Ernest movies, and Good answer. I was at the right age when I saw it. I thought the effects were pretty cool, the the, the scary people. Mm-hmm. And favorite scary TV show? Mm-hmm. I, this one might have a recency bias, but Squid Games. Squid Games, so good. Even though it's not scary, it's a thriller. No, it, thrillers are scary, you know? They can be scary. I can't even think of any other scary TV shows. If I well, Oh, um... Twilight Zone might be. That's more eerie. Oh, um, oh no, no. Twin Peaks. No, that Twin Peaks is nothing. No, but it's it's eerie. Okay, yeah, we're <laughs> going for scary though. That's what yeah. I'm saying. I know. Uh, Tales from the Crypt. When oh, I was a yes. kid, just seeing that skeleton introduce the scary story, one hundred percent, would freak me the hell out. Oh, unsolved mysteries. Again, Ugh. openings freaked me out. The opening to Unsolved Mysteries. And I've looked at YouTube comments because I've recently mm-hmm. looked up that opening just to see if it would hit me in the same way. And all of the comments say, when I was a kid, this terrified me. Nothing was scarier <laughs> than Robert Stack's voice and this this theme song. So, yeah, Unsolved Mysteries is probably the spookiest mm-hmm. uh, show of all time. And, yeah, Ernest Scared Stupid, being a kid, best memories related to a really silly, not that scary <laughs> film. The Exorcist, I do think, is the scariest movie of all time. Yes, which I, I think is on par with The Omen. We were having this debate the other day. No. But is there is there a book or anything? Because I was thinking about movie and TV show, and I just kept thinking it's not either. It's a short story by Edgar Allan Poe, but The Fall of the House of Usher. When I think of things that scare me. The Musician? no the fall of the house of usher is one of the things that pops in my memory and scares me the most if you haven't read it again it's a short story it's super interesting if you need like an anthology besides you just to kind of help make sense of some of it do that but it is so creepy and i think i read it like 15 years ago for the first time and it still creeps me out to no end I read Dave. I read a lot of biographies. Mm-hmm. I read David Hitchcock. No, <laughs> David Hitchcock. <laughs> Alfred's less famous, less interesting brother. No, Alfred Hitchcock. I read his biography, and that was actually pretty scary. Really? Yeah, about just how he was lusting after women and just like Tippi Hendren and all these blondes. I was going to say, it's scary from her perspective, probably. Yeah. And how freaked out they must have been on set every day with him lusting after them. He's lecherous. Next question. Would the world be a better or different place if we had learned to text before making phone calls? Because now we'd all be like, whoa, we can actually talk to people. And I love this question. I think it's hilarious. And I'd say, I say yes. And it also confuses me because I feel like we should have been able to text first because it boggles my mind. And I know there's explanations and it's kind of simple, I guess, when it comes down to it. But 
I do not understand how voice, a sound I'm making with my body, is traveling from here to wherever the hell it's going. Like, how is this machine able to capture my voice and hold it in this box? Vibrations, man. Vibrations, man. It freaks me out. Yeah, but let's answer the question here. Well, I think I. Or I think did you yes. already? That's just yeah, 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 no, yeah, and I do think it'd be better. I do think people would be like, "Jazz to call." This is probably the best question we've ever had on the I know. podcast. It's so thought provoking. Okay, yeah, it would be. So, people would want to just talk for hours. <laughs> it'd like, be like the nineties. So excited, it would just be so fun. But but yeah, I guess it would because it would be novel, right? Because we've been texting for all these years, and it's like now we can chat. In live time, in real time, and hear voices and hear tone and everything. To hear tone is huge because I think so many like awkward situations happen from misreading a text or not getting the intonation and then, you know, not knowing how to respond. Yeah, there's so many times I've texted somebody like, shut up or like, <laughs> F you. But I'm saying it like in a sarcastic, like someone's saying, hey, would you mind if I did that? And I'd be like, Hell yes, I would mind. And then they're like, oh, sorry. And I'm like, I'm kidding. Of course. Don't you know how I would say something like that? People forget though, right? I mean, especially if you don't talk to them often. Yeah. Next question. When Instagram was down, how did that change your day? I liked the forced break. Yeah, for sure. So it, it kind of threw me off because like I was trying to get stuff up because like Shane said, this I'm trying to job. get on. I'm yeah, but I'm trying to get on a schedule, right? So I'm like trying to do a post at this time, hit you know, try to get back to some DMs at this time, and I'm trying to do it all when I have breaks in my day from my other job. So when it was down, it really sucked because I was like, oh man, I'm not like it's gonna be really hard for me to catch up on this later because I'm gonna go home, be with the kids, and I'm gonna be exhausted by the time the kids are in bed. So it was tough, but yeah, it it was nice. But also, like, I don't consume social media like I use it. I use it and I post frequently, but I don't consume it the same way. So, yeah, I guess for me, it was just kind of annoying. Yeah. The fact that even we're all saying, oh, it was a good break just shows yeah. how we're all addicted to it. The oh, fact yeah. that it was even a deal, because in your mind, sometimes you might think, oh, I check four or five times a day, maybe two or three. I must check it 20 times uh every two minutes because <laughs> i really noticed how much i was going to my pocket and refreshing mm -hmm. and then was i checking it more because it was down and i wanted to see if it was up did i want it more because mm -hmm. i couldn't have it i don't know but i was certainly checking it's it a drug exactly it is and it scared me a little bit made me want to i don't know delete the app off my phone and mm -hmm. check it from my computer only, but then it's so essential to what we do I and I have to manage you that <laughs> it, it would just be a disservice to do that. No, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, it, it was an annoyance. I need to anything, schedule I times I can look at my phone. Yeah, you do. I think that'd be good. Is it rude to ask if somebody is vaccinated? So I think that when it comes to health, I think that as long as you're approaching it in a respectful way, that's not going to make somebody feel disrespected. Yes, it's okay. I have. Uh, first of all, you don't want to give them the virus because you can still carry it if you are vaccinated as far as I know. So you want to make sure that, you know, maybe if they're in a state of not being vaccinated and being like immunocompromised or whatever, you don't want to give them coronavirus or any other sickness. 
And then next, I, you know, it's it's pretty well known now that the risks of catching the virus as well as transmitting the virus are heaviest, most likely for somebody who hasn't been vaccinated or somebody who's at least partially vaccinated. So yes, vaccinated people can still spread it, but the risk increases a lot if you are not. So I do think that that is totally fair because it comes down to the health of you and the health of the people around you. And anything you say, just throw a laugh after it and it makes everything less awkward. Yeah. Or do it through text and then they don't know what the tone is like and then just have to assume that you're asking it with a laugh. With on text, I find adding the word yo after anything (laughs) makes it a hundred times less casual or more casual. You vaccinated yo? Yeah. See, it just it takes all the heat off it. And if you go, you're vaccinated, right? You're like, (laughs) it just has a fun vibe. And if they're like, actually, I'm not. It's like awkward. And then you just say awkward and move on and laugh. Oh, I think that's good. I think that's a good way. But I want to ask you something about vaccinations. Let's say someone has already contracted the COVID Mm -hmm. virus. And apparently even Dr. Fauci has said this, that it's very similar equivalent to being vaccinated terms of mm-hmm. so let's say you caught covid early you refuse to get vaccinated but essentially you have the same immunity no, to it not not in long term it, it wears off because even with the vaccines you know the efficacy it, it decreases substantially after like six months same with if you contract it normally you are only truly good for a certain amount of time and then it's what if they're within the six month window do you cut them a break or no I don't know. I, I I probably wouldn't. If they had it like two months ago, then I'd feel more comfortable. But if it was in after that, then no, probably not, honestly. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm right here, but I don't trust someone who's not getting the vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next question. Do See, you-, you just laugh that off and you're like, I'm not going there. Exactly. Okay. Do you guys set a monthly budget? No. Maybe we should. I think we're pretty good with our money. Like we don't spend... We spend a lot, but like on on food and stuff, that's our that's our number one spending thing. But we don't spend on anything else. So I think until we have more things, like maybe when the kids are needing more stuff, then we will put ourselves on a budget. But as it is right now, we're not we're not needing to. Yeah, I don't. I should learn how to budget. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, okay, DoorDash, Uber Eats, eight times a week. That's normal, right? Yeah, gotta be. Okay. What age do you think kids should have homework? So homework is something. Well, Shane, I'll let you answer first. I got more of an in-depth answer to this. Grade three. Grade three. So homework is something that's been debated for ages, whether it is effective or not. And it has been shown in several studies that it actually doesn't increase test scores. Right? So the answer is they shouldn't even have homework? You set me up. I'm... (laughs) No, that's not the case. I'm just saying how how difficult it is to kind of determine this. So from my perspective, which is the perspective of somebody like I love school, I love learning. Uh, So as a student myself and then as a teacher, homework has so many benefits other than just raising your test scores. Like it fosters good study habits. It provides parents with, you know, kind of a glimpse of, into what kids are doing during the day. And just, I think it helps students become a little bit more disciplined, even if they're not doing a lot. But 
it may come down ultimately to what kind of homework is assigned, determining if it's going to be necessary, if it's going to be helpful. Because if you're just, you know, sending kids home to learn about something on their own, that might not be effective, especially if they're not that type of learner. They might need, truly need somebody to, you know, help kind of start them. So that might be totally useless for the majority of your class. But if you send your kids home with something called retrieval practice, so this is incredibly helpful and effective uh, in uh, actually, no, but kind of, okay, in the sense that, no, 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 I, I can't make that analogy work, but retrie- retrieval practice is when, you know, you learn something throughout the day, you do a lesson, then you send the kids home, like hours later, they have to review and answer questions about what they learned without consulting their notes. And then for the things that they couldn't answer, then they can look up and whatnot, refresh their memory. And then that will actually help information stick in their brains better. Um, And strategies like that are way more effective than just like rereading information or trying to maybe teach themselves something for the first time. So I say like for any, especially elementary school, assign homework maybe don't make it mandatory or only the mandatory homework that they have to do is the stuff they didn't finish in class if they already had time. You know what I mean? It's like finish the stuff that you didn't finish so that everybody can start on the same page tomorrow. Uh, And then here's extra practice if you want to do it or if you recommend specifically that the kid does it. Because the other thing, and this is what makes me nervous about assigning homework, you don't know what that kid's home life looks like. They might not have any help. They might not have any access to the computer. They might need to be working, helping the family in some way. And it it makes it really difficult. And then that kid's coming in after a tough night at home, and then they're getting punished the next day in school for not having done this extra work. So I don't know if it's equitable. Yeah, for me, I was an extreme procrastinator and had no way to learn or focus, so... Homework was hard for me. No, it's not funny, Alex. No, it's just the way you said it. But it it is tough. And Shane, like so many students are in that exact same spot. And then I guess as as a teacher, you just got to make sure that kids are actually using their time in class to do that work and to get help. But yeah, it's a tough one. Uh, Not a question, but the best tip I heard this week was putting essential oils in your mask makes wearing them more enjoyable. Super interesting. I, I feel like that might give me like a headache though partway through the day. It's better than your breath. But I can't smell my, it's just like nothing. Oh, you can't? Get out of here. I'm going to kill no, you. I, I'm using the universal you here. Mm. I can smell my own breath. I can't smell in the mask. You, I, you can? Yeah. It's bad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't notice. Yeah. I, obviously, I wouldn't be able to smell your breath through the mask i was was gonna say here's another therapy topic i know no it's just my breath my breath must be bad is it no no not that i notice maybe on the days you're wearing masks but i haven't noticed that Hmm. all right final question uh in japan they have women's only trains do you think that other countries should adopt this to help make women feel safe I I don't know. I'm back and forth on this. I love the idea, especially if you're traveling like late at night or something uh, and doing it alone or with one other friend. I think that's amazing. But maybe like women's only sections of the trains. But then how do you police that? But then I just think like, what if you're traveling with a man, then you go on a train full of men and you're the only woman there. And then even if you're with one guy, it's like, is this guy strong enough to protect me against this train of ravenous men? 
I don't know, traveling as a as a woman is inherently scary and that shit and it pisses me off. And this is this truly is something I have to talk about in therapy because I am so angry at the patriarchy. And I, I think I mentioned this like a bunch in our latest podcast, thinking about the inequalities between men and women, just like the things that we consider in our daily life that men literally have never had to think about once makes me so furious. It makes me so furious. So this question is me. I'm feeling getting ragey right now. I'm going to stop. Well, what if too the mail train ran more often and yes, was it faster? Would. It and- would. They'd give the men the high speed and the women would get the one that should have been shut down 20 years ago. It's like, why are you late for work? I had to take the women's train. It's like, yeah, that's why you won't get promoted. No, but Shane, then the woman's train sucks. That's what would freaking happen. That's what would happen. It would be awful. So that wasn't the last question. This is the last question. Alex, where do you get your clothes from? What's your favorite shop? I started buying denim forum jeans and I love them. So people, I don't, I don't know why people have been asking me for like a long time about my jeans because I've recently only started buying them from this one brand that sells, it's called Denim Forum. They only sell through Aritzia. And mine are from The Gap. <laughs> yeah, Shane's are from The Gap. But they're awesome. They're so good. They they don't have any stretch. Like they're like that real denim that's like super tight out of the wash, doesn't really stretch. So they just stay nice and firm over time. And I love it. Uh, but yeah, I like to thrift. I like to go to Aritzia and I like to go to Zara, but I'm trying to not like Zara as much because of their, uh, they're not very ethical. Because of their fast fashion or? Fast fashion and how they treat their workers is not ethical at all. Well, I hear like, they treat the male workers quite fine. <laughs> Probably. No, no, no. Just, I'm, yeah. Anyway. No, I know. <laughs> all right. Is that, is that it, Alex? That's it, baby. Well, I'd like to thank everyone for listening. If you can give us a five-star review. Do it. Five-star review. Five-star rating and review, I guess. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to This this Family Family Tree Tree Podcast, Podcast. episode 106.